G'day guys, welcome back. Hope you're all doing well, kicking ass, taking names, stuffing people in your bag. I am absolutely honoured to be talking not only Sons of Behemat, uh, we are talking list tech, we are talking all things Gargans, and I have the biggest stomper in the land. Uh, Rumour has it, he is a descendant from Behemoth himself. It is Vince Venturella, not only of Warhammer royalty fame, but also a passionate Gargant player. G'day, Vince. Welcome to the channel. Welcome to your debut. It's been three years I've, I've been doing this channel. It's taking you three years to be here. That's on me. That seems that seems incorrect somehow. I don't know how that's true, but okay. I'll believe you. That seems impossible. I feel like we had to have done something in the past. Maybe I'm, it was just because I was there and we did our, we did my show from your office or something. I don't know. I, but it's it's. I'm glad we're finally getting it rectified. Technically, you have recorded from my house. Technically, we've gone through all of this, but uh, this might be the formal debut on my channel. But um, if people don't know who, who Vince is and you are new to Warhammer, go check out Vince's channel. It is the probably the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, you're going to get Warhammer Weekly on a Wednesday. You're going to get painting tutorials every week with probably a bigger library catalog than probably the greatest library known to man. Um, I keep coming back to all your tutorials. It's just great. Um, learning how to paint yellow. That's just, there's just so many little techniques. And even like, um, I think I, I still tell people about your little, your little plastic slurry glue about melting, you know, plastic, plastic. It's what glue. I use to assemble all my models. Can't recommend it enough. It's, it's the greatest thing. Like I threw liquid green stuff out the window and then I burnt it with fire. Um, when I learned a tutorial. Uh, absolutely. Like liquid green stuff is garbage and should be thrown in that place where it belongs. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just, it's, it's a total nonsensical product. Like if you're going to use that kind of putty, there are better choices out there if you're going to use, uh, but you shouldn't really ever need to in the case of most plastic products, like that should, stuff should be for resin or only, uh, for plastic products. You just make yourself a little, a little sprue goo and, uh, you're good to go. Love the sprue glue. I love my sprue glue. Uh, it kind of changed my world. I even threw out the liquid green stuff. I think some scavengers, maybe some hyenas, some type of you know scavenger animal looked at it and then scuttled away. So they they wanted no interest in the in they the would. liquid yeah, green exactly. stuff. They're like they, they're waiting for me to to spare some of my sprue glue. But today's show is not about sprue glue. Uh, as much as some people might tune out now, they're like, oh, man, I wish this was a Spruger episode. We are talking sons. We are talking sons of Behemoth. Uh, I'm bringing out my little pen. I'm going to do some uh, some notes as we go. Yes. Uh, so we can so we can timestamp this. But sons of Behemoth is an army. It's been around for, for a couple of months now. We, on the channel, we've already had one discussion. I had Ash McEwen taking us through the Taker Tribe, which is all about kicking the objectives. It's about having more bodies on the table or counting as more bodies on the table. Yeah. And Vince and I are going to talk a little bit about the other parts of the tribe. Uh, we've got two other tribes we haven't spoken about, which is Stomper and Breaker. And, Lisa, and Vince has been very kind to provide two lists we're going to go through and understand a little bit about what the gargants are all about what's his thinking behind building a list and um again you know this is not the the the, the optimum gargant list guys it's not going to win you the the next tournament it is putting the theory into practice uh, a new season for taste and you you build it the way you want to build it but you're hearing how an expert is uh thinking about the army so vince maybe we'll go back to the start you know you were very passionate you were building gargants before this book even came out 
Yeah. What what drew you to Sons? What drew you to this book and why have you gone out uh, full hammer, basically, um, on, on converting and building such an incredible army? Well, so I always wanted a giant army. I mean, I have, I have two giant armies if we want to be technical, okay? So I built a giant army back in... 2016 2017 somewhere around there when they released the original like sons of behemoth battalion right just as a fun hobby project i love giants and so i started painting a bunch of giants and so i have an army of about 10 giants collected from all sorts of different sources some of the standard gw what we would think of as current man crushes but i also have like the albion giants in there i have some of the old ultra forge giants in there uh, I have some Gale Force Nine uh, giants in there, which are like the D and D style giants. Uh, the Storm Giant King, by the way, is about the same size as the Mega Gargant. They're pretty; they're within about a quarter inch of each other. Um, and he's a he, he cuts a big, impressive stature. So if you're you know looking for an alternative, let's call it a lower priced option, as this is uh, the, the the Megas are cost prohibitive, especially in some territories like say your own uh those are about a fifth or a sixth of the cost so i'd already built this army once and painted it once and um i actually did a giant last year yeah 2019 2019 when i went to to um when i went to warhammer fest uh i taught a couple classes the week before and one of them was we were gonna do a large monster so i brought a giant to paint and then i finished painting him uh, in a couple days before there and put him in Golden Demon, which was fun. Um, I like how you casually just drop that. You're like, yeah, I just put in Golden Demon, whatever, whatever. It's like me. I'm just going to wake up tomorrow morning when Army's on parade. It's all good. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> well, he didn't Sorry, win Vince. anything, if it makes you feel better. I got a finalist pin, which was nice. It was fun to know that that I could get a finalist pin out of something that I painted in a, in a class and then spent a couple hours on afterwards. So that was fun. Um, but uh, the... Um, the sort of I, so I, I like them and then i knew when the when the new giants army was kind of announced or rumored when they came out with the first stuff at the beginning of the year i mean i just knew it was something i want to get into i i am a i am a timmy player psychographic profile wise timmy johnny spike if you want to know more if you're not familiar with those terms you can go check i have a video explainer on my channel i recently learned there's more of them i'm like there's there's like billy and there's chuck no there's other there's a couple of other names there's but I mean, melvin and vorthos as well um but that's those, those are appreciation profiles not psychographic profiles it's slightly different it's, which i also have a video explainer on uh so if you want to see psychographic and appreciation profiles then you can check, go out, check it out go go check out vince's channel like but i'm i'm pure timmy in the most traditional sense which is i like you know big monsters and stompy things and stuff like that and uh so when i heard that we're making an army of all giants i thought wonderful this is the army for me i tend to play monster heavy armies i like monster heavy armies uh i like elite armies i don't like painting lots of tiny dudes uh so this is this is great right this is exactly where i want to live uh you know eight figs for an army or something like that right and I think that for me was the massive draw was that I have traditionally played horde armies and I'm, I'm drawn to horde armies for some reason. I look at my cities, I have big blocks of units, you know, 20s, 30s. Um, you know, for the first time ever, I went into an elite unit. I went into Phoenix Guard. Even then I could, I still had to take my Phoenix Guard in a block of 30. I, you know, in my, in my undead army, I've got that big block of 40 skeletons. My grot army, well, 
big blocks of 60 or 40s. Um, I'm a Horde player, and I kind of got tired to Horde. And I think for me, the Suns provided so much opportunity. And I know you'll appreciate this. Is It's, it's not only one very, very low model count, two, the conversion opportunity for me is mm-hmm. just off the charts. Um, I think I mentioned this in the, in the Ash McEwen show as well, but um, I'm continually inspired every time I go onto Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just every Sons of Behemoth army just taking it a little little step differently and seeing what they've done with the army. And I think it's only going to get better. But um, just just thinking about what these Gargans look like and the painting schemes and because you've got so little models, you you can spend more time on them. Right. Because they're bigger models, you can get into the detail. You can do some of the fun stuff. Um, I'll be doing tattoos on mine, something that was very hard on a 25-mil-based model. So for me, it's just the play style is, is, is very interesting. The models are wonderful. And uh, there's, there's a couple of um, Kickstarters recently as well bringing out Gargants. I think if you're not going to go the Games Workshop Gargants, um, you have a lot of cool options as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, you've just mentioned a few of them. There's only, I think, Printable Senior has just had a Kickstarter finish that has some really cool Gargants. So um, I love it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they are a, a sort of army because it's just basically a humanoid form, right? It's just a big humanoid. That's all it is. And so ultimately, that can be a huge amount of uh, conversion potential because it can be whatever you want, right? It's just like when you, when you look at something uh, like a vampire lord on zombie dragon or something, right? Like that's a lot of very specific stuff going on. Like sure, you could put a different vampire on top. But the zombie dragon itself is a very sort of specific thing in the world, right? And there's not a lot of other bits you can use that are going to fit or slot really natively into that in the same way. Whereas this is just a big person, right? And so, you know, it's easy to just cut off an arm and you put some other big thing in its place. Or you, you know, you replace a leg with something else that's a leg, right? There's lots of other uh, things like that, that that... that just are, are very easy to, to work in. For me, it was my, you know, sort of Frankenstein's monster army and, you know, integrating machine parts and mechanical parts into the, the whole force. So it was a lot of fun, although it does make it hard. I've got one more mega that I got for my birthday last month, and he's just sitting on the shelf because, like, with a lot of kits, you can just kind of get it out, put it together, and paint it, right? Yeah. But... When I want to convert these guys, it's like a major project. I have to get out five different boxes of bits that I use for this stuff. And, and my office is a mess. And then I've got to spend a good solid day cutting pieces and checking sizes and getting ideas and everything like that. Uh, so, you know, it's um, it's a higher barrier of entry. But I've got one more to do. And then the army, like the army's done now. I have my 2000 points, but... I'd like to have three megas done that way. I can, if I want to run the all-in mega army, I can. Yeah, I've got two more. I've got one man crusher to do, and I'm going to try to make it a woman man crusher. I'm I'm inspired by the Trogoth hag, and I want to see if I can hag up uh, a little gargant. And then I've also got my war stomper to do, which I'm probably going to take to a tournament in March next year. So um, that's really exciting. I love this army. It's just great, but. I want to talk a little bit about the rules. Um, it, it is a conversions dream. Um, uh, you know, I've drawn from 
endless spells. I've got, you know, various different endless spells being used. Um, I've seen other people use, you know, like I was thinking of Ricky Smith, for example, holding, um, so the flesh eater course chalice, there's an endless spell chalice sure. where, um, you know, one of his gargants running with a chalice there, there's, there's, you know, pull bits from your, um, from your, um, Bloodthirster, your lot of change, Magnus from 40k, Durthu, you name it. Sure. Uh, the conversion is just a dream. But let's talk rules. I, I want to kind of get into the rules a little bit and kind of understand how you're thinking about the rules. Because I think as a Gargant player, it's easy to look at these rules. We essentially have five War Scrolls if you count Forge World. I don't, but I don't either. It's like you got four war scrolls, five if you want to dip into the into the the bone grinder gargant. I think we just it's answered like, Luke, by the way, in the in the chat, who who said, "Are you planning to use the bone grinder now that it has updated sob rules?" Short answer: No, never. I wouldn't. I'm, I'm you're already overpaying for the normal megas. I would certainly not over overpay for that thing. If it kept its old war scroll, if it allowed me to pile in six inches like it used to, sure. I would. I would. But now I'm like, I just take a gatebreaker. Um, right. But, you know, we don't have a lot of choices. So I think that makes it easy, but also really hard because as the meta shifts, as I'm competing for opponent, I don't have many choices to make. So I need to make sure that my choices are the right ones. And then the challenges on the tabletop that I found is because we've got so little model counts, we don't have a lot of fat. It's not like if I have an Alpha Strike coming at me or let's say an Iron Jaws, Iron Sun running at me, I don't have a whole bunch of cheap bodies to throw at them and block. I've got six models, eight models. Right. So our choices are optimal. They cost a lot of points. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, the rules and think about like what it all means to you. And we'll start off with Mightier makes Rightier. So if anyone plays um, Ogres, you might be familiar with this rule. Um, basically what it means is our Gargants, our, when we're determining control of an objective, the friendly man crusher Gargant counts as 10. Uh, a while a mega gargant counts as 20. So what does that mean to you, Vince, Look, when you look at these rules and uh, start thinking about your list design? Yeah, so uh, two things. Uh, one, I, I completely ignore the designer's note. We're going to just pretend that doesn't exist and, and that all of the objective switching is nonsense that's never going to happen uh, because I can't even, I don't even know how I would fathom explaining that to an opponent and how it would work. Uh, no, that's not even getting into like the cheatier aspects of it where you can just make sure that no one ever scores. Um, so just thinking the rule itself, this is the most powerful rule in the army. It's one of the most powerful rules printed in any book that I wish didn't exist. Uh, I just wish they would, I, I wish this would get struck out of the book and replaced with something else because, uh, my ultimate point coach is going to be that from this one bad choice, all other decisions of this book flowed. Okay. Like they, they, at the start of this book inception, they were like, well, we know it's a hyper elite army, right? So what can we do to let them compete on objectives? Because we know that's a problem. And then like, you know, hey, fair dinkum, right? That's, it's a good, I'm glad they're aware of it now and taking steps to do this. Uh, the problem is they crafted this as, this is basically like the ogre rule on steroids, right? Because in, in the ogre army, even if you're up against like monster truckathon, you know, where they've got five monster trucks or something cruising around the table, that's still just five models they have that are 10. And if you've ever played against it, you know how unbelievably powerful it is, right? We've got, that's our little guys counting as 10. And in most armies, you've got six of those, right? 
And then you've got two big guys counting as 20. And again, you know, you mentioned you went through, I know, you know, I watched your previous show and I know you went through Taker Tribe. Look, here's the spoiler alert. There's one good list if you want to play this army and be hyper competitive. Okay. And it's a Taker Tribe list that focuses on all the defensive stuff and that's it. There's no choices to make. That's it. You take the one, you take the trait that gives you neg one to be hit. Right. And then you take some other defensive item like the plate of perfection from Shimon, or or maybe you take the save reroll or whatever. List <laughs> choices. Yeah, I know, I know, because it's the only choice, coach. I'm not I'm not hating on you for it. That's a great build. It will just outright beat some armies because you'll walk up on objectives and be like, hey, I'm 105 models. Oh, you don't have 105 models in your army? Well, I guess I win then. Because, you know, like that's that can that can be what happens in something like Knife to the Heart, right? You just like, I'm going to stomp forward. When I get there, I will just have more people than you, right? Like, I no, know. Is no it, about it. I remember when I was playing, I've played Focal Points a few times now where you get the bonus points for having a monster or a behemoth with the objective. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's just a hard day for your opponent. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm claiming five to three additional VP every yep. turn. Yep. Um, and like the, the lead just stacks up over time and it just becomes uncatchable. Un oh, focal points is like the most amazing scenario for sons, especially in Taker Tribe. You're just like, you're laughing because you'll be at like 30 points and they're at like eight. And then you have zero models on the table and you're like, well, I guess you lose because there's just no way you can make up those points. Um, so look, but that's not what I want to talk about today. The, the reason that like that on the Taker Tribe thing, because I know you did a whole show about it. It was great, by the way, if y'all are watching and you haven't watched Coach's show um, with Ash, where he was talking about the Taker Tribe and you're really interested in the like competitive elements. I thought they did a great breakdown of it. I would recommend A-plus work, as always, from Coach. Uh, so, but to, to talk about this rule, the reason I say it's the one bad decision from whence a bunch of bad decisions flow is that this necessitates every other decision in the army, right? It The fact that you just dominate on the objective game means that they can't be too defensive, they can't be too offensive, they can't have too much power projection, they can't have too much synergy, they can't have too much magic or shooting or, 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 or right? Um, famously, when we did the, the show, I did a list of the... 20 things this army doesn't have that other armies have right now not every army has all 20 uh except for like seraphon it would be an example of one that does uh because you know it's a broken army but at any rate um most don't most have but most have like 10 <laughs> you know or something like that we have zero uh so it's it's because and and the reason all of that other stuff had to be cleared away is because of this rule right up here, right? Because it will, despite all of the weaknesses, when you can just walk up and go, no, look at me, look at me. I am the captain now. I am the captain, okay? And when you just own objectives, like that's ultimately what this game is about, right? And so it makes you highly competitive. My problem with this army has never been one of competitiveness. Uh, you know, the summary I always give to this army is, they manage something near mystical here as it is the most fun, frustrating army I have ever played. It is simultaneously some of the most fun I've had playing Warhammer. Like this army is just completely unbelievably fun to play. For those who haven't played it, I cannot explain how low stress, 
how good it feels to play this army. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that into practice. I uh, I had a game recently, the game five of my last tournament um, down in Canberra, and I was playing uh, a player who is uh, a very, very competitive Australian player, very accomplished player, Chris uh, Welfare. Yep. Um, in our Australian Masters, basically every year, he's a very, very good player. And I'm playing him game five of the tournament. And the the, the deployment, he, he made a comment like, oh, is that it? Uh, he was surprised how quick my deployment was. And then when it got to my first turn and my hero favorite was basically turning the dice to get a CP. And yeah. then I move into the, to the movement phase. It's like, what, wait, have you got nothing else to do? And for me coming from cities and gits, which oh, is sure. super, super heavy synergy having to be, you know, my, uh, my, my leader has to be within three inches of an adjutant to, to be able to get an extra command point at a four plus has to be within, uh, is it three inches of a, uh, the retinue to get to be yeah. able to bounce off wounds. Yeah. And then, you know, wholly within 18 for this particular buff within 12, this buff, I've got to be, make sure this particular range for the spell, like my hero phase is, you know, very, very complicated, but for Garkins, I just want to make sure there's a couple of, couple of things, you know, having my man crushes, being able to make sure they're going to be within 12 of a mega gargant to run and charge. But the, 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 the synergy requirements and having to worry about certain things, it was just so oh. stress-free. It got me to focus on the game as opposed to trying to remember every little thing I have to do and every little rule and setting up for what many people are concerned about, which is the double turn. Like, offensively defensively trying to set up my two strategies well my strategy is to stand there and take on objectives and 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 stuff you in my pants and swim yep. my clubs that that's that's the strategy yeah exactly it's it, you're too blessed to be stressed in this army it's it's the no drama llama army like i played a team game with my giants and my partner was a hollow heart cities of sigmar player and so we're like okay start of the hero phase okay we both gain a command point and then i'm like all right go nuts I'm going to go get a sandwich. And I mean, it's just, you know, he's casting 12 spells. He's rolling for additional command points. He's doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not doing any of that, man. Like, just tell me when we get to the movement phase. I'm done, son. This is it. Um, even even magic, like people have got, I've got six spells. And usually you've got like one or two unbind. You've got to try to choose which spell you're going to try to unbind and which dice roll you think is going to be more right. like, I'm like, I've got no magic defense. Just cut your spell. Yeah, just, man. What, yeah, what just, spell just, are you yeah. going for? Roll your dice, buddy. Tell me what's going to happen here. Let's go. I don't know. Like, it's fine. Let's, let's, let's move this along, okay? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a it, it is a very fun, low stress. Like, if you need AOS reminders for this army, then I am very sorry about whatever probably brain injury you suffered or, like, whatever serious issue is happening. And that's fine. Like, joking aside, that's a tragedy. But this is the simplest army you can possibly play. It's... It will move forward and stand and hit things. That's it, folks. Like, I don't want to give the game away, but that's it. Uh, it is uh, nothing to remember. Uh, Lore Master Sotek, I see saying, like, you know, when he was playing his Night Haunt, he had all the stress and stuff. Yeah, because you got all this crazy movement shenanigans and you're teleporting in your hero phase and you're, you're checking all these things, you're casting spells. Which, ah. which units I need to put into the underworlds? Where right. am I going to pull it out? What turn? Come over yeah. here to Giants where we don't think about any of that stuff. It's so easy. It's This is the staples button of armies. And, and I, think that, I think that becomes really important here because, um, and the, the point that I want to make with Mightier Makes Rightier 
is that if you're entering Gargans thinking that this is the, the pure damage army, you're going to go in and just stomp your opponent, you know, swing a big club and do massive damage, you're probably going to be disappointed. It does yes. do damage. Don't get me wrong. It does do damage. It's inconsistent damage. Destruction has this, this feature that is just wild and inconsistent. You can never get consistency in destruction. But if you're looking for this army that's just going to run in turn one or turn two and cause absolute damage, you're in the wrong army. You're looking for stone horns. You're looking for iron jaws. You're looking yeah, for you're looking for what's in my face, right? Like these are my giants right here on this, like over my shoulder. Okay, right here. These are my iron jaws. So you want a damage army? This is the army you build. You know, this is a. It's really more of a utility toolbox that you you. It's about play on the table. You're playing in a cagey fashion, right? Uh, and in fact, an army like iron jaws or a souped up daughters of cain or i don't know you know anything that's just like a melee nightmare like that that combines both like speed and hitting power is your natural predator as a as a sons of behemoth player because they will hit you kill you and you will not be able to score because they're not gonna they're not gonna miss a beat to take you off the table like a tooled up mega boss on maw crusher will blow through a mega in a round without missing a beat like he'll he he will not even stop it will he will hit it, drill through it, and there will be a red mist as the choppas come out the other side and he keeps going, right? So those are your biggest predators because they hit hard enough that you can't just stand there and score, nor can you live to retreat away and then continue scoring, right? Yeah. Most of the time, ranged armies honestly aren't as much of a, a challenge for you. I mean, there's exceptions, right? It depends on what that ranged army is. But you know, even with things like Zinch, like I've, I've had, I've played, uh, I mean, I haven't been able to play Warhammer for a little while due to health stuff. Cause I had to quarantine, which was no fun, but, um, the, uh, but like, I probably got mm, 15 or 16 games in before I, you know, stopped being able to see other human beings. And I had the good fun of playing change host many times during there. Like probably four of those games were against change host or something like that. And, you know, it's, sure, is it a tough matchup? Yes, it's quite tough. Uh, but it's um, but it's doable because you can put so much pressure on them that they can't burn you down fast enough, right? Depends on what their army is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's be, that, that mightier makes rightier is where it is truly the sun, that everything in this army revolves around, right? It's like its center of gravity is so massive. Everything orbits around it. Everything is driven by it, right? Uh, and and it's, it's, it is the rule when you're talking about the army. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why uh, Vince made an earlier comment. We'll, we will move into the, the other rule, which is Chuck Rocks in a, in a second. The uh, Vince made a comment earlier and said that the one true um, competitive build uh, or probably the strongest build in this book is through the Taker Tribe. And that is because, and we're not going to go through Taker Tribe. If you want to learn about Taker Tribe, go watch my other video after this video. Uh, get a robust kind of understanding of the three different tribes that the, the Taker tribe basically means that your man crushes are worth 15. So a unit of three will be up to 45 models counting uh, on an objective. And your Mega Gargan is counting as 30 instead of 20. So, uh, you know, knowing this game is an objective game, it is very hard to take uh, an objective off a, uh, 
well, first off, a Gargan army in general, let alone a um, a Taker tribe army. So yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean, kind of way when you're forty five models, you're more models than basically all but like three units in the game. Yeah, just by existing. Now I know you did some analysis on Chuck Rocks, and oh, yeah, uh, so, Chuck, so Chuck Rocks are basically in your shooting phase, and this is going to come into play, guys, in one of our lists. So something that we're going to unlock a little bit more. But Chuck Rocks, basically, your man crushers don't have a shooting attack. Your mega gargants do. I think two of the three have a, a shooting attack. The the Kraken Eater and the um, it might be all three of them have them. I know at least the, yeah, the, the two out of the three have a shooting attack. The yeah. Kraken Eater has like his. Weak multi throw and the gatebreaker has a out. single big rock type of throw that does four yeah. damage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but your man crushers can shoot. So in the shooting phase, uh, you can pick one friendly man crusher gargant holy within eighteen of the general. Each model in that unit can make a shooting attack with a Chuck Rocks missile weapon. So range eighteen, D three attacks each, hitting on a four, wounding on a three, rend one for D three damage. Now, on paper, someone looks at that and goes, whoa, that's massive potential. A unit of three Gargans could be doing nine attacks, doing up to three damage a hit. Now, you're, you're, you've done some a little bit of analysis and just some expectations of, like, well, what, what's the true output of, of, of Chuck Rocks? What's your experience, and how is that even coming to play with your list tech? Mistake number one of this army, this ability right here. Uh, like, we're, we're going to get into it. This is the first mistake they made. Why does this exist here? Why is this printed in this section of the book? This is this is nonsense. This should just be on the Man Crusher War Scroll. But but yet the fear that this army would actually do any amount of real damage. So instead we had to put it in this weird space where now I've got to worry about having a mega holy within 18 uh and uh and and then then one unit can throw now obviously there is exceptions to that as we'll talk about in stomp a tribe and you know its damage is obnoxiously nothing okay uh if you're if you're not in stompa which has some interesting exceptions to this right if we're if you're in the other two tribes like if you're in breaker for our purposes of our conversation today uh where you can activate one unit of this right um then you're gonna get an average of zero to five damage okay with zero being the average damage 24% of the time. Uh, the, what in, in practice, what this usually amounts to against most things you're going to want to target with it. Because what I have found the way to go with, to, to do with this is you just roll the dice and you pick a hero and you hope. Like, that's all you're doing. Like, you don't... It, most time, if you throw this into a unit, it's kind of irrelevant damage. Um, there are some notable exceptions, like... If you can, I've, as I mentioned, fighting a lot of change hosts, I've, I've stood up again or stood, you know, stared down flamers many times. And oftentimes, you know, flamers have a, are kind of in the same mid range. So if you stand outside their range and then move up, right. And then you can throw rocks. Um, they're a great target because they're on like a five up save and they only have two wounds each. So like even doing three or four wounds to unit of flamers is actually significant reduction in their damage output. Uh, but like if I was fighting salamanders, I would never bother. This would be the stupidest thing you could do to throw rocks at salamanders. All you're doing is removing like three outlet of skinks. Um, so, yeah. you know, what, I, what I've generally found I do with this is I pick a hero in range and I go, okay, let's hope for the best, right? Like, I'll take the neg one to hit. Cool beans. I'm on fives and threes. Neg one D3 damage. We hope for a hot roll. And, you know, it's not like you've got... 
uh, about a 23% chance, roughly, to do five or more damage against a four-up save. So that's not terrible, right? Um, I mean, that means that if you just, that that's on your standard four-up, it drops significantly, probably down into more like the 12% range, 13% range. I haven't calculated on a five plus. That's sort of back of the napkin math. But still, hey, that's a one in 10 shot. Let's just say that, or a one in eight shot to just kill a five wound hero, which can be really good because you don't have a lot of other chance. You have very little power projection in this army. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, that's how I use it. It's not a thing you really care about. And the reason, you know, just for anyone who, one, hasn't seen that show with Vince talking a little bit about the maths behind this, but two, even just introducing maths hammer. If I look at these, st these stats, I'm looking at this at the lowest denominator. So while it might have D3 attacks, let's say I've got three uh, man crushes there. I'm going to roll the lowest number. Let's say all three of them rolled uh, one attack. Even if I did average, average would be two, you know, whatever it might be. Hitting on a four means we've got 50% chance of it going through. Uh, winning on a three, it then goes to a 66% chance to kind of follow through, depending on what I'm attacking with. Um, if I am attacking a hero, a five-wound hero, or a small-wound hero that's within range of a unit, we've got Lookout Surf, so that's a minus one to hit apply on the, on the four, to, turning it into a five. So basically where, where we're going with this is it's a nice feature to have, it's been good for me to do some chip damage on maybe a monster hero. Uh, if there's like a buff centerpiece behind the scenes, maybe it's a cauldron, maybe it's a hurricanum, some type of uh, some type of buff chariot behind the scenes. Uh, if I'm if I'm just gonna go for luck and maybe I've got a couple of extra command points and I want to reroll ones to shoot and hope for the best and try to take out that five wound hero behind the lines. Uh, it is truly a gamble. Uh, it's not consistent. So uh, it can do some chip damage. It can be quite useful. It's actually helped me a lot get out of combat. So sometimes you get stuck in combat with that one or two models. Sure. Uh, it's been helpful to get me out of combat and then get my, my man crushes charging again. But it's not a viable strategy to think I'm going to build a shooting Garkant army. No, it is the lowest level of usefulness, which is why it should have just been written on the scroll. Right? Like it's... in if the scale is from... If the scale is from zero or one to 10 and anything below five is bad and anything above five is good, it's 5.1. If we seem negative, by the way, it's not that we're trying to be negative. We're trying to set the context of what this army does. This yeah. army is not the best magic. It's not the best shooting. It's not the best in a lot of things. It is truly the objective playing game. That's that's where it stays. It's it's its strength. And when we cut going through the, the lists in a, in a minute, um, we'll kind of show you where from an objective point of view, you can build and, you know, season to taste because the other thing that you're going to get is you do get to choose one of three tribes. So basically um, your general uh, of the sons of Behemoth army must be a mega gargant. Now uh, we are recording pre-winter FAQ, so there could be some points adjustments, there could be um, any rules changes that come in from the winter FAQ, and we, also, month. and we also have our January's upcoming edition of White Dwarf um, has alluded to Sons of Behemoth getting something. So assuming it is a celestial tome, which means additional rules like the Jaws of Mork, like uh, Golob's Mega Mob, there could be new rules coming, so we don't know how that's going to impact us 
So for the purpose of this, we just use the battle tome for now. Uh, you know there will be another video um, talking about the whatever the White Dwarf rules are. But long story short, your Mega Gargant will ultimately determine the tribe. So uh, picking your, your Gargant, if you are taking a Kraken Eater Mega Gargant as your general, then you become Taker Tribe. If you're a War Stomper, uh, it becomes a Stomper Tribe. Gatebreaker, it's a Breaker Tribe. Uh, it doesn't mean you can only take one Mega Gargant. You can take more than one, but your general will determine your tribe. Vince, I know you've got a, a feeling when it comes to the name of these Gargans. Do you want to just reinforce it one more time on, on the naming conventions of Gargans? Biggest mistake of this book. Seriously, the thing that bothers me more than anything else here, all rules joking aside, uh, or, or rules discussion aside, is the fact that they called it Kraken Eater becomes the Taker Tribe. I'm like, okay, yep, got it. That makes sense. Gatebreaker becomes the Breaker Tribe. I'm like, yeah, still with you. I'm listening. I, I like where we're going here. And the third one is the War Stomper becomes the Stomper Tribe. No, becomes the Shaker Tribe, obviously. So you can have Takers, Breakers, and Shakers. Like, they're literally, they literally talk about them shaking the earth. Right. And their whole special thing is literally the, the stompy feet. Um, why? How did we miss this? Whoever wrote this book, you have wronged me. You've it, wronged it, might be me. it might be an errata coming up. Soon. That should be errata. I'm let's, not even let, joking. Let's 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 make it errata. So uh, stomp I want to go around with like a P touch to everybody's book, then just print out the word shaker and start putting that sticker in everybody's book. <laughs> so so this is this obviously what this means, guys, is that choosing your general will determine the tribe that you're going to take so um for the two lists you know the war stomper uh it does mean if we're taking the stomper tribe a war stomper must be in the list and with our breaker tribe we must have a gate breaker both of them have to be the general but then the the other choices are completely up to you yep yep uh, any final comments vince before i move on to the next slide which is going to be obviously the stomper tribe now let's get into it Cool. So Stomper Tribe at 37 minutes uh, on my little note taking here. You're going to get a whole bunch of cool stuff. Now, you might look at that Allegiance of Sons of Behemoth. By the way, another a point that to, to make if you aren't, uh, if you haven't watched the other video, is that Mightier Mate Makes Rightier is an Allegiance to Sons of Behemoth. So if you do take one of the mercenary Gargans in your army, it doesn't mean that you get Mightier is Rightier. So your Mega Gargant, the, um, is it the, the, the Kraken Eater, if you're bringing him into order, you do get your Kraken Eater benefits, but you don't get the counting as 20 or 30. So it is tied to the Allegiance. If you're here thinking about bringing one in as an ally, um, just want to call that out for anyone who's watching the show, trying to get those juicy insights. But you do get a couple of things when we look at the uh, the Stomper Tribe. Now, Vince, maybe while I slip slip the page over, what is Stomper Tribe about to you? I mean, what's the high level elevator pitch? Uh, damage, especially to larger units. I mean, that's that's uh, that's the thing. I mean, I can I can sum all this up. I don't want to I don't want to shortchange it, but I've got a lot of thoughts here. And so so the core thing is the getting stuck in, which means that your your friendly baby giants or man crushers as they're called. I'm just going to call them baby giants often. So if everybody knows, hi, when you're watching, if I say baby giant, I mean the man crushers, your little cupie dolls. Uh, they are getting plus one damage to all their attacks against units of 10 or more and plus two damage against units of 20 or more. Good. It's a good ability. Um, it's, uh, that does include the chucking rocks, which can actually turn that attack into something quite damaging. 
against against units. It can make it actually worth targeting units, uh, combined with the fact that your only good command ability you get out of this lot of 72 command abilities that they decided to rewrite for no reason when there's no command abilities in this entire book. And they could have just written like three good command abilities instead of writing seven bad ones into this one tribe. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, the You get a bunch of different command abilities uh, as well. Basically, one for every phase is kind of the easiest way to think about it. That kind of overwrite the existing command abilities. The important part to remember about uh, having a general, or be, playing in, in, in Shaker Tribe, as it should be called, Stompa Tribe, as it's called by plebeians, is that... Uh, you cannot use the normal game's command abilities anymore from your Stompa general. Okay? So, in other words, your War Stompa general cannot use the ability to reroll a charge, or to turn a run into a six, or to uh, all out assault, or all out defense, or whatever. Okay? They so they're, just they're, they're, the, they're the command abilities that you might be using previously in, from the general's handbook. Right, exactly. Your sort of six generic command abilities are off the table for you. Now, in return for that, you instead get these bad versions of those same command abilities, uh, which is, I think, you know, not great. Uh, but this is one of the reasons that whenever I build in Stompa Tribe, I always have a different secondary uh, mega, right? So a non-Stompa mega, okay? Um, because then I can still have some guy running around. And by the way, they could a second Stompa could do it as well. I just for various other reasons, I think it's more useful. Um the the other mega can still use and access the normal game's command abilities. So he ends up becoming the shepherd for your little baby giants. Because, you know, when I say that these command abilities are bad, I want to back that up with something here, right? So like well, let's take the the OU yes you charge, okay? The one that's on screen right now, top right. Yep, you can. Yeah, that's the uh, if you use this command ability at the start of the ch uh, the f charge phase. If you do so, pick uh, so until the end of the charge phase, you can re-roll the charge roll for friendly man crushers uh, within eighteen of the general. Right, exactly. Okay, patently worse than just the normal ability, and here's why. Like this should be very obvious to everybody, but just in case you don't understand order of operations or what opportunity cost is. Here we go. So it's this simple. The ability to reroll a charge after you failed it means you only expend the resource if you need to. And most of the time in this army, you're charging with one to two units at most because you only have four, right? And so hence, the, the fact that you would then need to actually even use the command point to fail a charge, there will be many rounds where you don't need to, right? So the fact that you've got a pre-spend, and yes, it is a bubble, but it can only affect other man crushes, right? I mean, the Stompa tribe is kind of about man crushes, which is another thing I don't love about this. I wish I wish more of all these tribes in general just kind of applied to everybody. Yet another reason why Taker is kind of superior because it's the one where its abilities just do apply out to all the other stuff. But anyway, you know, I don't want to pre-spend one command point to give myself a bubble around one guy. One, that restricts my movement. Two, I don't necessarily have multiple units of man crushers charging in a single turn, right? Three, I might not have needed to spend any of that, right? If I if I land all of my four and five and six inch charges, as I'm often making with man crushers, since they are quite fast, zipping around the table at 14 inches, um, you know, it, they're, sometimes you just don't need it. But I'd rather, I'd rather use it when I need to, not in advance. 
because this is not an army with a uh, an abundance of command points. Um, yeah. and, that, and, and that's a big one, guys, is because there's very little ways to get additional command points in this army. Uh, there are no battalions as well, so it's not like you're going to get an extra command point there. Uh, and I find in a lot of my list building, I just don't have an extra, uh, an extra uh, 50 points to be buying a CP, or I'm at least making a sacrifice on a man crusher to get one of those. So um, with the way it's currently adjusted, you know, command points are at an absolute critical and I see the benefit in this. If you're setting up a wave of charges with man crushers, cool. There's a, a, there's a chance that you might fail. But I think what you you just raised is a really interesting point, Vince. Is that is that you've got to spend this before it happens. And if you hit all three of your charges, well, you've just wasted a CP, which is already really hard to get in this army. So you can't waste a CP. Uh, you're setting it up for reroll once to hit in. Uh, for me, that's where I'm spending most of my CP. I want to avoid uh, rerolling charges as much as possible. Yeah. Because Gargan attacks are so swingy, I want to reroll those ones to hit. Yeah, absolutely. There's two good command abilities I think you use on this table from your from your War Stampa, right? Um, one of them is on on screen right now, which is the stop mucking about and hit them, where you can reroll hit rolls of one for attacks made by friendly man crushers with an 18. Okay, fine. Um, that one's fine. I have no issue with that one, uh, because it's a fairly decent bubble for reroll ones to hit. It can hit multiple units, uh, at the same time. And hopefully you're fighting within range of each other. You'd have to have a mega near them anyways, to activate the normal all out assault. Uh, and like usually, and, and you're triggering this at the same time that you would need to trigger all out assault. Right. But it, it can theoretically be hitting more models. Great. No issues. Fine with it. I've used that one. I think it's fine. The other one that you tend to use is off screen right now, but if you want to scroll down a little, there you go, um, which is grab those rocks and chuck them, where if you have enough man crushers in range, instead of uh, uh, instead of only having one unit throw, you're, you're basically your guy can go, everybody throw. And so if you've got, you know, kind of six man crushers, as I tend to have in this army, as I think that's the correct way to build Stomp a Tribe, you can get six of them throwing instead of three of them. Uh, again, it's not the biggest ad, but if you get six of them throwing and they all target a unit of like 10 or 20 guys, so they're all getting a damage bonus, that can start to add up. Um, you can actually get to damage where you're diminishing a unit before you get there. So that can be quite valuable. Um, I'll often do this kind of thing to just clear a chaff unit of 10 out, right? Um, because the first unit that throws is going to be throwing with the plus one damage bonus. And it can actually make a big deal for clearing out your standard, like, 10 model chaff units. Um, the rest of them, like, the Battleshock immunity and the reroll saves of one, who cares? Oh, my God, who cares? Your man crushers have a five-up save. They basically don't have saves. Half the uh, time, I'm not making save rolls. Right. I look at them, I go, what's the rend? And if it's rend one, I'm, I'm hitting sixes. Right. If it's rend two, I'm like, just just move along. What's the damage? Yeah, just give me the damage. Absolutely. Another... And honestly, I don't hate that. I love it when people have Ren 2. I'm like, great. Now we've just taken another roll off of my plate. Just give me some damage here. Let's do this. Um, you know, and the whole re the, the whole set all your runs to six. That's nonsense. That's such a worse version of that. I can't even begin to get like talk about how much worse that is than the normal war uh rule. Um, so like, but those two are good. You know, one of the challenges I consistently have in the sort of construction of this army is the fact that they didn't write command abilities onto the megas. It drives me crazy. I don't know why they're not there. Uh, 80 point 
skinks and corn morons have command abilities. I refuse to believe that my 500 point Titan who leads an entire tribe of people has no ability to command. And I don't like that. We just backed these in, in this one tribe. It's, it's wonky design. And again, it comes out of the fact that, uh, that that mightier makes right ear so powerful. It's why there's like no synergy in this army. It's why, it's why all these things. Uh, but that being said, the, the reason I actually tend to play Stampa, and this is this is actually my normal tribe, um, is partially for the damage thing, because most armies have a unit of at least 10 dudes somewhere. Not everybody. Uh, there are, of course, exceptions. But units of at least 10 are fairly common in the game. Okay. And if you want to actually have your army do damage, if you if your goal is I'm going to make giants that can actually do damage, which, by the way, Taker Tribe doesn't do. Okay, like that is the downside of it. Playing Taker Tribe is like you have. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's real bad. I, I, I do damage like I, I've been playing Taker a lot and you do damage. But when you start tapping into Stomper and Breaker, and you see the damage output here, that's the trade-off here, is that while we talk about Taker Tribe doing all of the objective scoring and getting yeah. all that sit there and just take it, which I don't think is what most people got into Gargans wanting. People want to get in there. The, the, the most enjoyable game that I've had so far with Gargans was when I played against Beasts of Chaos and I got to punch on in the center of the board against a Gorgon and a Beast sure. Lord and some spawns. And we yeah. just went in and we just punched. It was like a boxing match. Center of the board, just punch, punch, punch. I want to punch a, uh, a Battle Cattle. I want to punch, punch a Bloodthirster. I want to punch Marathi, uh, although I don't think I'll win that fight. But I think for me, that would be the most enjoyable. I don't want to sit there on an objective and be cagey like I did in a game against Archeon and his four units of Varangard. I'm just trying to avoid them. Right. Stay within six inches of the objective and score it as 30 or 15. So um, I think the yeah, damage I mean, output, as you're, you're mentioning in Stomper, is, is the thing. Yeah. Objectively, the damage and taker of a taker, Gargan, if that's what we're talking about, like if you're running heavy taker, uh, the, the, the damage of a taker is six to 13. Okay. That's, that's, the, that's the math. That's your damage range against a four up save. Uh, and that's not counting debuffs or higher saves or da 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 da. The damage of a unit of three man crushes in Stompa Tribe against a unit of 10 models, right, with a four up save is 19 to 33. That is a significant difference. <laughs> okay. Just to, to put that, that's that is that is three X the damage. And I'm not counting the 20 model bonus. I'm talking about against a 10 model unit. Your, your three man crushes are 3x the damage of the Mega. That is a very large difference. That goes from you are scratching units and they're standing around and basically killing you to you are obliterating units and they are not walking away. Right? Uh, it's, a, it's a big difference. And that actually might be a really good draw out as well if people haven't um, connected these dots yet or they're brand new to the army, is that... Your Mega Gargan, if you're thinking about traditional Warhammer, you hear these concepts called hammer and anvil. You know, an anvil absorbs damage, a hammer does the damage. If you think about what a Mega Gargan army is going to look like, and this is really where Stomper um, or uh, yeah, where the Stomper tribe comes in, 
is that your me your mega gargants are going to absorb the damage. They've got lots of the wounds. They don't degrade as much. But your man crushers are the anvils. They're the ones, so they're the hammers. They do the most damage. So when you start thinking about getting stuck in and uh, they do some really big damage, you know, from the headbutts doing four damage, uh, from the clubs doing 10 attacks when they're un uh, unwounded. Then you start adding plus one damage or plus two damage, depending if you're focusing on a unit that's got 10 or more models or 20 or more models. Then you're re-rolling once to hit. Uh, they've got a lot of rend one, rend two, rend three. There's a lot of rend three and even range three. Um, yeah. There's some serious damage that comes out, let alone the charge damage. So, you you know, mortal wounds on the charge. And we'll get to Vince's list very, very, very soon. Uh, and we'll actually kind of unpack this a little more. But that's when you start seeing what Vince is talking about here, times it by two, times it by three. And the Stomper tribe is just damage. It's just doing damage. But into the chat, there's a question around, you know, does this mean that you're really only taking one mega gargan and just you're filling it with baby gargans? I yeah. think that was the general initial observation with this. They're like, cool, okay, well, if I'm getting rewarded for man crushes, then let's just take one one mega gargan because that's kind of who do, who's doing all the rules and then just fill it with eight or nine baby gargans as you've you've called them. And I'll, I'll, I'll run with it. If I'm calling little Marathi and big Marathi, we're going with baby gargans. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I think that's definitely the wrong play because uh, what you have to understand about baby gargans is they are glass little glass cannons uh, because they, as, as mentioned, they're on a five-up save. You know, yeah, there are 36 wounds. Uh, those wounds evaporate real fast under pressure, uh, and you you just don't have the durability uh, to to actually, like, stick around. Your megas are tougher, mainly because they're on a four-up save. Like, that actually makes a big difference. And also because you can often give them, you know, defensive items that can then further enhance that. Um, so, you know, the little guys just die really fast. Um, the they, they are not tough. They cannot take a punch. Uh, the But at any rate, they, but they do damage. And... Uh, so I think that when you when you think about how to use them, I I, I do very much like your breakdown of, of hammer and anvil. Uh, it's just uh, to just quickly talk about ludo narrative dissonance for two seconds before we go to the list. Um, <laughs> that didn't come up in the chat before. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to trigger Vince. But yeah, there's there's no reason why all of this should work like this. Um, in the actual book, it talks about how the tribes are formed because the big mega will just kind of you know clonk other people into place. Um, that's nonsense. Three babies would absolutely kill a mega. It's probably not even close in most cases. Um, takers would be getting hauled from the ocean and beaten to death on the shores by their by their little baby friends. There should be zero taker tribes in existence because the little giants should have killed them all. Uh, three babies is more than a match for one for one mega. Anywho, Venice Vince uh, works. We we also did lose um, Behemoth two galmoraz so uh, and we do know galmoraz is three damage from a prime so uh three damage can take up for like a thousand rounds though but he was in the heavens it's a lot of rounds all right we'll, we'll assume that he's charged up to a to a million it looked like one hit but because he was on like 72 attacks or or something like that he was just swinging so fast it's like the flash it looks like he hit once but it was actually just like you know it was like a like a, it's like when you're hitting the, the when you had the old Nest Turbo controller. That's I'm just going to say it's, it's Stormcast fake news. Um, anything else that you want to add to the rules, or do you want to get into your list? Now nah, we can go into the list, man. 
Cool. Yeah, it's completely fake news, as if uh, Behemoth died from Prime. Um, so the first list that you've got for me, uh, so we yeah. did mention this is going to be the Stomper Tribe, and then we'll do a Breaker Tribe uh, after this one. So for people who are joining us on the podcast, um, you obviously can't see Vince's list, but Vince has got uh, a very, very, very complicated army. Uh, mm. It is. <laughs> I think that's the thing. It's just like it's so small. So you've got your Sons of Behemoth coming from Akshi, uh, Stomper Tribe, as we've already been talking about. You've got a War Stomper, which is your general that has the command trait of Eager for the fight. Yep. You've then got a Gatebreaker with the artifact of Incandescent Rage with Rage Blade, which is coming from the uh, the Realm artifact of Akshi. You then have two units of three Man Crushers, three units of Man Crushers. Now this is really interesting because. For most of the Stomper tribes that I've seen, people are running maybe one or two units of threes, and then they're filling the board with lots of ones. So they're having, uh, as I mentioned earlier, up to eight or nine littles. Now, you've gone low drops. There's four drops here, and you've got essentially four four centers of power. So talk to me through a little bit on maybe uh, – Maybe whether we start from the top or just, you know, how this is all coming to about. By the way, Vince also does have an uh, a command points. This is coming in at 1980 uh, as we currently stand with our, our, our points. Yeah. Uh, here's why this is the list I've ultimately come to. This is my favorite list. This is what I like to play. Um, this lets the army play how it should play. I've done, I've had to like, I've had to twist and crush this army in a way to make it actually play properly as the way it seems like it would if you just kind of, if I went to you and just said, this is an army about giants. And how do you, what do you think happens? This is how they would actually think it works. Um, now, uh, so I'll just, let me go through my choices. One, I'm a big fan of four hammer armies. I believe in, in four hammers. Okay. Uh, at, like in other words, four reasonable threats. Uh, now daughters of Cain can do four threats for like 15, 1600 points. We have to do all 2000. That's okay. Such is life. Um, the, you know, I like coming in at 1980. You do still have a chance for a triumph every so often, which can be actually quite impactful in this army. Uh, the extra command point is absolutely essential to me. What you don't have here is the ability to, like, easily guard your back objective, right? Uh, because you've only got four units moving around. Uh, you are relatively low drop. Four is not bad. You get beat by all of the, um, you get beat by all of the um, sort of ultra low drop armies. But Against everybody else, five is kind of the average, so you end up just a little below average, which means you get choice return, which is nice uh, in an army without battalions or anything. Um, the and and everything here is a threat; nothing can be ignored, uh, which is which makes it so which makes it very hard for especially opponents who rely on uh, single unit Death Star synergy builds to then compete with you. Right, because you can just choose something to go kind of play with that, whatever that thing is, and lead it around. And the other three are then the other three hammers are then going to run around and uh, decimate the rest of their army. Right? Hopefully, they reduce it by more than ten percent. But the reason that the the War Stompa tribe has the best, in my opinion, uh, collection of uh, command traits slash artifacts. Uh, things that I actually really would play or would want. Uh, most famously, the thing that a lot of people take is either is the artifact that uh, lets you reroll saves. It is incredibly impactful 
if you're if you're wanting to have a more defensive war stompa who can live, then the artifact that you reroll saves is massively huge. That's the iron world assessors. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Um, or you can take the the club with the slot machine where you come back on a four up. Um, it's a funny item. It's I wouldn't recommend it, but it is hilarious. Uh, it's it's called the Mega Gargan slot machine because every time you die, it's like, well, if you roll four up, you're back again. Club um, with the first oak. So basically, you're yeah. tapping into the uh, the Fire Phoenix rules. Yep. Uh, but I don't take either of those. I, I take the Rage Blade for things. I'll explain in just a moment. Um, first of all, the War Stompa. I there's I you know there there is an ability to gain extra command points on this guy. I don't take it. I take Eager for the Fight instead. Eager for the Fight lets you roll three dice to charge, uh, total them all up, and you can you can declare a charge against people within 18 inches instead of 12. Here's why that matters. Your War Stompa, if he does not have this, does not have the ability to re-roll charges. Because he gave up his command abilities to get the crappy command abilities that only affect man crushes, he cannot affect himself with command abilities. He has zero command abilities that can affect him, okay? So if you're three inches away from someone and you fail the charge under normal circumstances, you fail the charge. That's it. Options zero for remedy, unless your gatebreaker happened to be within six inches, which by the way, they're not going to be. And he's um, the slowest of the of the of the mega gargans. Correct. He is, and that's when I when I take my taker tribe, I want to take the wolf stomper. But the fact that he has a ten inch movement, while the uh, the the kraken eater and the gatebreakers are in the eleven to twelve, that one and two inches can be the difference between a failed charge and a non failed charge. So for me, like the the wolf stomper moving ten, um, by by you taking eager for the fight just helps so much. Exactly. It's one, you can no longer fail three inch charges. I know that sounds like the stupidest thing, but I guarantee you the time you fail a three inch charge in this army, you'll lose the game because of it. Because this army relies on charging because you get so much extra damage. Like you want to be the one engaging and picking the fight, right? So failing a charge is not great in this army. It's real bad actually. Uh, and so having eager for the fight means you can't fail a three inch charge anymore because the minimum you can roll on 3d6 is three. Uh, it also means that you can occasionally get bonzer charges, right? Like I had a 17 inch charge happen in a game, uh, which is, you know, that's a dream come true. Now I was rolling for like a six inch charge. Okay. I, you don't, I'm not declaring 17 inch charges and, and needing to land them. I was rolling a six inch charge, which again on 3d6, you're extremely likely to make, right? But when I rolled that 17, that opened up a whole new world, Aladdin style of options of where I could charge. And suddenly, you know, heroes that thought they were protected back behind the line were suddenly within my reach to like run around and hit them with the impact hits and then pile into the unit I was going to charge anyways. And positioning and how you charge and multi-charging and stuff like that is really important in this force. So to me, eager for the fight is the one that it's so critical because one, it guards against downside risks and two, it opens up. It is a form of power projection by allowing your guy to get into places he wouldn't otherwise be able to get to. And it also, as you said, compensates for the speed. I, I love it. I love it because as well, like when you start thinking about then adding the fact that the death grip has a range three or even, you know, the jump up and down and the, and the boulder club being range two, if you can get a, a juicy target, 
then you, or even like you get a lot closer to those juicier targets, then you do those impact hits, whether they're D3 or D6 mortal wounds on the charge. Then you then go into the hurled body and you pick up some of those screens and you chuck them. And then you get a little bit closer to those juicy heroes, those juicy centers, degrade those buff centerpieces, um, and then put in those three-inch attacks. Um, that that can speed up your victory. That can debuff your opponent's army significantly compared to being stuck in a chaff wall that's at the front where it's going to take you multiple rounds to get into. And there's no real way to kind of retreat and charge as well. So you really want to make the most of of, of the charge and, and do as much damage and then move along and hopefully get as many charges as possible over the game. Yeah. Um, by the way, all of the War Stompers attacks are three-inch range. Uh, that's one of the reasons he's also good. Uh, sorry, I'm looking. I was looking at rent. You're okay. Sorry. Yeah, he's, that's one. Of, no, it's one of the reasons I love him because he is. Most of them have a two inch attack. Yeah, he has all three inch attacks, which is actually like, again, it's this understated thing. But the difference between having a two inch range on your attack and a three inch range on your attack is crazy. The number of times I've caught people out where they thought their chaff line would protect them. And I just charged straight in, you know, hooked into as close as I could between two guys and then just started beating some hero over the back of the line to death. Uh, I can't even count just because people don't think like that. Now a really good player will, right? Like that's not going to win you a tournament. You're not going to catch out a tourney player making a, uh, a mistake like that in game five, but normal players make that mistake all the time <laughs> just all the time uh so hit the fact that he's three inch down the line is quite potent uh might so, be worth calling out here as well just before you jump onto your next sentence because a question did come from the chat that i thought was very relevant at this point yeah. the other rule that you've got here is the long shanks now long shanks allows you to um to step over certain things uh but that is basically on a normal move so that wouldn't come into play with a charge move so as cool as it would be to kind of get that 17-inch charge, step over a screen and get into a juicy center, unfortunately, the long shanks doesn't apply in the charge. It's only in a normal move. No, long shanks is only useful to walk over endless spells or prayers or retreat over top of something that's got you locked in. That's it. That is what long shanks is for. It is yeah, not most for offense. It is purely for retreating or not getting stuck. That's and 99.9% .9 of terrain pieces are higher than four inches. So Correct. for me, it's getting out of um, Soul Snare Shackles. It's out of getting out of the Warp Lightning Vortex. Yep. That's basically it. Yeah, correct. Uh, it's like, I cannot explain how disappointing I find Longshanks. Uh, as I've said on multiple shows, but I'll say it again here, uh, you could fix Longshanks by, with, the with the addition of like three words, and they didn't do it, even though they've had two shots at it now, and it drives me nuts. Uh, the fact that you can walk over, if, the, if it said you can walk over terrain as long as no point of the terrain is higher than four inches, or, now begin the additional words, or that terrain has the rubble keyword. <gasps> Ta-da! Yeah, we've got two stickers from the from the Warhammer Weekly store coming to you guys. So Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the rubble keyword. Uh, so at any rate... Uh, yeah, Longshanks is kind of bad. But at any rate, um, it doesn't matter. I think this makes the War Stomper a real threat. Now, the other reason I really like the War Stomper, just to stay on him for one more second, is his... He doesn't have a range attack, as we mentioned. Uh, instead, he has this really unique attack on... called Hurled Body, basically. So, um, just like your baby Gargans can stuff people down their pants, uh, and your uh, Kraken Eater can put people in his net... 
The War Stomper has this really interesting ability to roll often with a plus two or a plus one or something, and if he's low on his chart, uh, but he can often have some kind of bonus to this, where if he doubles the wound characteristic of the thing, he slays the model instantly. So same kind of thing, but unlike normal, you're rolling with a plus two uh, or a plus one often. Um, that's actually quite impactful. It means that you can do things like slay ogres outright. I mean, you have to roll a six, but you can do it. Um, it actually gives you a 50-50 shot to kill three wound models outright, uh, assuming you're at the top of your chart, which is really relevant. There's a lot of three wound models in the game that are normally very hard to slay. You go from a 16% chance to kill them to a 50% chance to kill them. Uh, so, like, this is your, you know, this is everything uh, like your... Uh, um, your brutes and your skull crushes or not skull crushes. I'm sorry. Your, um, skull reapers and, you know, all, all those sorts of like three wound types of guys, uh, retributors or, you know, the, all the associated paladin models, evocators, all those kinds of things. I just call, I just call out the chat here. Pesky has called out this, uh, an amazing visual. I wish I was there to see it. He claims that, um, he had a Demi Griff being thrown at his Luminarch. Exactly. <laughs> I, I had a game where I grabbed a regular ogre and then threw him at the ogre tyrant and did like four mortal wounds to him behind the line. It's the most fun thing when you hit it. So yeah, pesky, that's fantastic. I love the idea of throwing a demigriff at a luminarch. Like, bam, just comes crashing in through the windows. Uh, it's like freaking out like a deer that goes through the windshield um, or maybe a kangaroo for people. I assume that happens in Australia. Uh, I don't know. Uh, at any rate, the, the, the reason hurled body is so awesome is because not only can it do all the things we just talked about, so it's, it's actually quite good at slaying uh, models, but it's also out of sequence. So Hurled Body does not have a time constraint to it. It can just happen, okay? It doesn't happen at the start of the combat phase or when you pile in or anything like that. It just says during the combat phase. Yeah, once per combat phase, so... Yep just during, which means that after your opponent, like you can go first and attack like you want to, then your opponent goes, they pile in and then you hurled body. So you wrench a guy out of a line. If they were dumb enough to be in a point where they only have one person connecting two parts of a unit together, you wrench him out and suddenly you've broken their coherency and they're past their pilot. So during Battleshock, half of their unit's going to drop dead. Okay. Now, is that cheaty and stupid? Yes. Do I wish the rules didn't work like that? Yes. Do I think it's dumb? Yes. Am I going to do it? Yes. Uh, so, sorry, that's the way this works, boys. You didn't give me an army that does damage. If you gave me an army that played fair and hit like I wanted to, I don't have to play like this with my Iron Jaws, but you give me this army, I got to make things happen. Um, you can also do it, by the way, before they go. So, like, even if someone's activating before you, you don't have to activate. You can just be like, nope, I'm going, boom, I grab your dude, I kill him, right? So you can you can do things like break, uh, if there's uh, command units or command models in the army that are giving some kind of bonus to the unit when it attacks, you can whack that dude out of combat before they go, even if they're activating before you. Uh, so, cool stuff there. Uh, I, I, I quite like that ability. And then, you know, it's... I hate that you have to roll the four up to throw the body and actually do the damage. It should be like a two up. Uh, we should be allowed to have fun, but this army's called on a four up. You don't have fun. Uh, and so like, I hate that to actually then throw the guy and hit somebody else. I have to roll a four up. It's very annoying, uh, but whatever, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. 
Uh, it just means that, like, how many things can I hide this one? Like, fun is put behind multiple roles in this army. My, okay. my last game, I had all of my Gargans topple over. I got no four plus. Uh, sorry, sorry, I didn't win the yeah. roll off on any of my fall overs. So, um, yes, yeah. Timber is effectively a four up roll, right? Because you're rolling off with your opponent. So it's kind of effectively a 50 50 shot. That's kind of how just dice work. And I hate that you, one, don't win ties on Timber. Uh, actually, my at, at my table, we agreed that we would just re-roll until there was a clear winner. That's, that's what I do. I, I always re-roll. Because there is, there is no indication on Timber what to do if there's a tie. Like, I just like, hey, right. let's just keep rolling until we have a clear winner. Yeah, and none of my players were opposed to that. They were like, yeah, that seems like a fair way to read that. So we just roll off. But I hate that that is like that. Again, I hate it's not just a roll a die on a two plus. You get to timber and fall over and, and do damage on a one that you fall somewhere else, right? Um, but again, whatever. Fine. Not gonna... I. It, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it's fine that some of our best damage comes out of our guys dying. Um, okay. So now let's talk about the second guy in here. Now, the competitive build is to put a taker in here, okay? Because then you bring kicking into the army. This is the wrong choice. Uh, the correct choice is to live the way of the samurai and to go for the gatebreaker with the incandescent rage blade. Uh, because, so what does the incandescent rage blade do? Uh, the incandescent rage blade is the Akshi artifact. And even though all realm artifacts are garbage, this is probably the least garbage they can be because what it does is it gives you sixes or double taps. Meaning if you roll a six to hit, it becomes two hits instead of one. Uh, the problem with the Gatebreaker is that he is very swingy. He is quite damaging. Uh, the Gatebreaker has quite a high uh, damage threshold, quite a bit higher than, uh, than normal. Uh, that is to say the Gatebreaker without his plus one to hit is generally doing about 9 to 19 damage. Very wide range. The widest of the ranges. Because he's so swingy. Because his main attack was a 4-up. He's got so little. Like the, the Gatebreaker just has so little attacks. Which is the other thing. Which kills yes. me. So like with the with the herd, Hurled Boulders. Which is a shooting attack. The crack, My Kraken Eater gets 3 attacks. He gets 1. And yeah, he hits on a 3. Wounds on a 2. But it's so easy to fail. Even that hitting on a 3. So... Like, yeah, it has ran three, four damage, but like there's been so many times where I've just failed that that to hit roll. It's like, cool, move along. So it's the over-reliable strategy, um, certainly. Right. But I guess this is where the Rage Blade kicks in for, for the melee attacks. Correct, because on average, what the Rage Blade is going to do is give you two extra hits because you're rolling 10 attacks with your at, at full health with your Flail, okay? Uh, or now your Giant Sword. So... That actually moves you to the equivalent of a three up to hit. Okay. The, the two extra hits. Like mathematically, that's doing about the same amount of work, right? Uh, and it also opens up the possibility for those bonzer rolls every so often, right? Because it's not like it's only, it's not like it stops at two, right? There's going to be some times where you roll three or four sixes where you just have a good roll out of the 10 dice. That's not that statistically uncommon. And then all of a sudden, those four sixes become eight hits right and that is just instant death to whatever you you just swung at because that flail is a neg three rend three damage attack right the fact that you just now have 24 damage that it that's like four plus save what four plus save that's gone homie you don't got that anymore that's just take 24 okay 
Um, when that happens, it allows this guy to spike off hard, and the sixes help smooth out some of the some of the inconsistencies of rolling on a four up. Uh, by the way, I often give this guy reroll ones when I attack. Yeah, I would, literally, the minute you you gave me a break, I was jumping in to say this guy always gets a reroll ones to hit CP for me. Like, so any way that I can not spend it on charging, he yep. is always spending one. And I think for me, like when I look at take a tribe as well, one of the cool things was is you can get a, a free triumph when you, you kill a uh, kill a, a leader with an artifact, and, and and I can get a free reroll whether it's a hit or wound. So for me. Gatebreaker always gets a free CP. Yeah. When you make him four up rerolling ones and sixes or double taps, you'll be surprised how suddenly consistent he gets. By the way, it shoots his damage through the roof. Um, like if he's normally nine to 19, he starts averaging well above that. Uh, like it moves his damage up to like 16 to 28, I think off the top of my head. I don't have that number right in front of me, but it's, it's a big difference. A big difference. <laughs> like, he will crack units, and it makes him a real threat. Uh, I had a guy with this build get in the middle of three heroes at the when I was playing against um, my uh, a Zinch opponent, and in one round, I just flail killed all three heroes. I was like, you know, this guy's getting four, this guy's getting three, this guy's getting three, dead, dead, dead. Just whack. The flail attack is definitely one of the only times that I'll split my attacks because I'm confident enough that with 10 attacks, if I can get a couple of hits in and the, the rend and the damage, I can really spike what I need to spike. And it might also be worthwhile calling out that both your, your War Stomper, your Gatebreaker, and your um, uh, and your Kraken Eaters don't degrade as quickly as some other behemoths. So when you start looking at the tables, you know it really starts degrading at, like, at 12 or 13. Yeah. And even when it starts to degrade, the profile doesn't actually degrade that much. Like I'm looking at the gatebreaker right now, and there's only two asterisks. It's the hurl boulder range and the amount of flail attacks. Everything else is is re relatively consistent. The other one I wanted to call out is it I love it and I hate it all at the same time. Is that uh some of the attacks you'll get reroll ones to hit depending on who you're attacking. So, and, it, and it alternates, right? So with yeah. your gatebreaker, uh the almighty stomps, you get to reroll ones to hit if you're not fighting a monster, but then the death grip, you get to reroll ones to hit if you're fighting a monster. Right. So it's like a, a little bit of complexity to remember, but I love that I get at least one attack that's going to reroll ones to hit for free. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to this guy being an offensive threat, uh, by the way, I would strike both of those rules. If I was rewriting this war scroll, I would immediately eliminate those and give real command abilities that actually give bonuses that matter. Uh, but anyways, we're not there. Uh, when it is, I write, it is nice to have, I will say that when I don't have a CP and I get one reroll, or I get a reroll once, sure. it is nice to have something for free. But absolutely, I, I don't disagree with that. I would just rather there be real rules on there instead of these, sure. instead of this Corridor and Overlord style nonsense. Um, yeah. Talk okay. about my favorite rule. Favorite rule. Yeah. So the other reason I have a Gatebreaker in here is because uh, he can smash terrain, uh, and this is this is the other reason to have this guy. Um, your boats, smashed. Your stupid obelisk in the center of the table, smashed. Your dumb Selvaneth Wildwoods, they're not woods anymore. You're teleporting nowhere, okay? Those are rubble. Um, yes, I still can't walk over them, okay? Because, like, they're all taller than four inches. But I don't care. Uh, breaking terrain is just fun. It's also quite relevant. Uh, if I see... Um, 
if I see terrain out in the middle of the board, I don't want to have to deal with. Uh, just like I did the, the, the stuff that I just like effects that I just don't feel like enduring, like entangling terrain or some nonsense. Nope, gone. That's not a thing for me. Like I will playing in Shimon where you make the entire board entangling, you know, like because that's the rule of Shimon, right? Everything becomes entangling. It's actually not that bad for you, even with just this build, because you can just set up in terrain, smash it, you know, kind of break it away. And then your opponent's dealing with entangling on their side of the table and you're not right. Um, so there's, there's, there's fun stuff here. Uh, it, it's just like, it's not commonly useful and all giants should just do this. Just like all giants should kick all megas. Sorry. All megas should kick and all megas should break terrain. I stand behind that. I will not abandon off of that. There should be other ways that they're separated but anyways, they don't. So at any rate, this guy's my, this guy's another great hammer. Um, yeah. And breaking train is fun. The three, the, the two packs of three times Manx. Here's why that's built like this one. I want a command point. Okay. That's number one. And you can't, you can't get the command point if you buy the three singlets, cause you end up paying 540 points for them. You can afford it. You do get your uh, your uh, massive regimen discount. So normally your gargans come in at wasn't it one eighty, but when you take them in units of three, they become basically one sixty. So uh, that does free up some CP. Yeah, exactly. So being able to buy the CP is is such a massive difference to this army. Like even having one additional command point makes such a huge difference. Uh, most worthwhile thing you can buy. Two single gargants are worth mm, somewhere next to nothing. Like they are literally a 10 model thing. They're 10 models standing on a 92 mil base, right? That's their only advantage. They will get lifted by anything that attacks them. If something looks at them funny, they're dead. Okay. Um, three is a threat. Uh, so like people can't just bring any old thing into your three man crushes and, and clean them. That's not going to happen. It takes one of their hammers to remove this thing. And it just means that they have to pay attention to every unit you have. It also means that you've got two 30 packs effectively running around, right? Because both these guys are 30. So, like, they realistically pose a threat to most enemy units to just take an objective right away from them by walking near it and towing in, right? Um, so, the, uh, the reason that I like this build is because it it has less versatility in your number of units. Yes, right? You don't have a single guy to stand behind on a home objective or something like that, but it's all threat. It forces your opponent into making bad decisions. It puts the pressure on. There's nothing they can ignore. It's lower drops, which lets you decide the tempo of the game more often. And everything in here is damaging because both three Manks are, are getting the damage bonus from being in Stompa Tribe. I, it's been a while since we mentioned it, but let's re-mention it again. These guys' damage is freaking crazy if they hit units of 10 or 20. Uh, and so, like, everything in here is a threat. That's well, I'll, even, I'll even say, like, I run a unit of three man crushes in my Taker Tribe, and Taker doesn't do nearly as much damage as Stompa and Breaker Tribe. And they still do a lot of damage yeah. in Taker, let alone getting benefits of plus one damage or plus two damage. Um, so when you start kind of, again, times two, times three-ing it, uh, it can be brutal. Even I know when I break, I, I've got a cup, so I, I run my list as two megas, uh, a unit of three, and then three ones in my Taker. I can leave one little man crusher 
defending an objective, being on the flank. And I had a couple of opponents who did bring in something from a sideboard, whether it's from the side of the board, they teleported in, and they've charged my man crusher. And my man crusher will, will deal with them. 99% of armies that will teleport will be teleporting or deep striking with a unit of 10 or less. So really your choice is you've got to kill that man crusher or you don't get the objective. In the case of what you're talking about here, Vince, is that your three man crushers are counting up to 30 models on an objective. So your only way of scoring an objective off that Gargant is killing it. Right. And and with the damage output, you know, 12 wounds apiece, what's that, what's that, uh, 36 wounds in a unit of three, um, good luck. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, what I what I've my general play style with this army is to hold one unit back on the edge of a home objective and just let them actually claim during the sort of if I'm if I'm not going first, or, or sorry, if I'm going first, I mean, because if I'm not going first, we've passed a, a, a check phase and I've gained control of the objective, right? So the other advantage here is what I can do is I can give them give away the first turn. So then we pass an objective check, I've taken control of the objective now, and I can walk away from it and still claim it. And if they've got ambushers or teleporters, I'll be like, yeah, go ahead. Knock yourself out. You want to drop five or 10 dum-dums back there to take my home? I don't care, right? Like other than Battle for the Pass or something like that, where it's so point rich, you know, then sure, I'll leave three behind to defend it. It's worth it. Um, but like in, in general, if it's just say some normal objective, I'll just walk away from it. And I don't care that you've got five guys taking my home objective in anything other than something like Battle because I'm going to be taking all of your objectives away from you right now. Like I am just going to walk up, not even counting killing things, which I'm going to do since this is the army hitting as hard as it should. Right. Or something like that. And I'm going to take your objectives away. So you better hope your five dudes pay a huge dividend because you don't own your objectives anymore. Uh, that's, that's generally the plan, right? Put the, like put the pressure on the best defense is a good offense. Mel, the cook on Alice. And all, and all it takes is, and if you think about that six-inch radius around an objective, so what, it's a 12-inch circumference, um, all you need is the, the tip of the Gargant base to be tagged, and that, it's counting as 10 per, per Gargant, right? Yep. So a lot of armies aren't running 30, 30 blocks of units, right? So one, you got to get 30 within that, that six-inch you know, radius, but then two... Um, I can I can literally steal it by, by by being just you know on the tip of it. So that's what makes it a real threat. And then when you start thinking about the large base of a mega gark and, and it, you know the dominance on top of an objective, you you can't surround it and then try to defeat it by having twenty. So that that's kind of really where the objective play kicks in for the megas. Um, the other rule that I, I we didn't quite talk about, and maybe you were about to talk about it, but I'm going to steal your thunder, Vince, is that I love the combination that man crushers can charge. They run and charge when they're within uh, 12 inches of a mega. Now it's yeah. not wholly within. It's not wholly within. It is just within. Right. So, so for me, I I play very similar to like Nurgle, where they slingshot their Black Kings or whatever it might be when they're near the the Feculent Narmor. So the Man Crushers having such a they only move eight compared to uh, you know a, a Gatebreaker that moves 12. So you quickly fall away from your, your mega gargants despite the man crushers doing the most damage. So by being able to run and charge, it does mean that I can slingshot off the back of a gatebreaker, and it does mean that my army is super fast. And then obviously you add the fact that you've got the 3D6 charge from the war stomper, and that is a very, very, very fast army that can charge turn one, 
But I think the risk is, is that I think people throw their weight maybe too fast and um, uh, it depends. Like, you know, getting on the objective early is good, but charging for the sake of charging is – you're not Iron Jaws. So I think, you know, thinking right. about your army, you know, you're not as durable. So uh, you're then allowing your opponent to spell you off and just do sheer damage. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is another reason, by the way, the 2-6 is the right build. Because when you're one nine, it's very easy for your your to have babies that are just outside of the range of Omega, because you you don't generally play the game within a within a twenty four inch bubble, right? Like that's not like you, units are farther apart than that, right? Like, mm -hmm. and so when you've got two megas, you've got two centers of power allowing run and charge, uh, so you don't have to play as like the 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 death of tactics is when you have to play in little bubbles, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, any, anything else you'd want to add to the man crushes uh, or even just the combination here of Stomper Tribe? Um, we've had a pretty robust discussion on this list, but I really like it. I think um, I think if people are still wanting to run lots of smalls and have them in units of ones, you know, and uh, and maybe not put them all into into units of three, you know, Battle Shock is a real thing. I've had uh, I've had a man crusher run off from Battle Shock, and it hurts when a twelve wound model runs away. Um, and obviously yeah, we, season for taste here. If, if you if you prefer to talk about way, the bravery of this army, it will only make me angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it hurts. <laughs> it, it does hurt when it runs. And because I don't have a lot of CP, I don't really have any abilities to immune battle shock and you know certain things, right. let alone you know, Lumineth making me spend two CP to to inspire presence. Um it can be tough. So some people might want to run lots of little ones and, um, and, and, or maybe they want to put a crack in eater. So again, season for taste, do what you want to do. It is your hobby, but is there anything else you want to add to stomp a tribe before we get into breaker? Nope. All right. We, we pretty much covered it. This list does work with three singlets. You just got to kill the extra command point. So if that's your build, it's no problem. And it obviously it means that you're a little bit more dropped. So the, it's like, it's less likely you're going to be able to determine battle. I think being within four, you are, uh, if your drops are four or four, I think you're in a really good spot. Yep. Uh, there are certainly one to three drops in the meta right now. So it's not like you're always going to determine who goes first. Uh, maybe while I just change pages, Vince, maybe a, a quick thought. If you get to determine who goes first, um, do you go first? Do you like to try to go for the double between turn one, turn two? Or is there any a couple of factors that you might consider between? Because yeah, sure. I, I think I, think, I, think I, I, I see people as I mentioned earlier, they want first turn and they want to run in and they want to, they want to get in as, as quick as possible, which may not be the right decision. Depends on the scenario is the honest answer. Uh, so if it's an 18 inch scenario, right? Cause uh, there are many scenarios where you deploy nine inches off the line from each other. If it's an 18 inch scenario, I'll uh, I might. And I, and I think that I can reasonably threaten uh, I'll take the first turn because I can bring those guys up to within, I can bring the whole army within charge range at the top of one pretty easily um, and, and land all those charges and, and be in there. Uh, the, uh, if I, if it's a 24 inch range or it's longer or something like that, and there's not really any advantage to getting out there and going first. Like I'm not going to, if it's blades edge or something where, you know, moving out and taking all six objectives is, you know, highly valuable or something. Cause it can put you so far ahead. Sure. But for the most part, if it's a 24 inch deployment or there's no immediate benefit, I'm usually giving the turn away. Uh, yeah, I agree. 
It just depends they, on what their range is and how much threat they actually pose to you. The um the absolutely the the shorter the shorter and obviously your opponent being uh some some opponent well, I, I like to think a lot of opponents, but some opponents may not deploy on their line as well. So mm -hmm. that shorter shorter distance between you and your opponent and they deploy on their line, so you know there is uh, a much shorter distance between you. It's a very, very there's been plenty of times that I've gotten a turn one charge off off my deployment line. So it, it's it's not hard to do. Um, so I think it's a really good call out there. Just for anyone thinking like, because that is a lower drop, um, what do I do? If Do I go first? Do I take it? Obviously the double turn is always beneficial, um, but you really want to get your charges off. I think that's the key here. And I think that's the challenge when I face against Beast Claw Raiders, Iron Jaws, is that we both want to charge. So there's a bit of a dance off. And unfortunately for us, they're just a little bit faster. Right. So they, they they will likely charge us and then you add on the the benefits of you know being able to stuff people in pants. Um that's pretty impossible or at least very hard against those iron jaws and those ogre uh, opponents. Yep. Yeah, like I said, it's it it ends up whether or not you make the choice ends up being a, a just a combination of scenario and uh, you know opponent, right? Um it, it, again, it's very, very, very scenario dependent. Like if I'm in Star Strike or something, and the opponent's not posing me any real threat, you know, turn one with so with overwhelming ranged power that can go the whole distance, I'm absolutely giving it away every time because who, who gives a crap, right? Nothing happens in turn one, anyways, right? If I'm on Blade's Edge, I'll probably take the first turn if I've got that decision because I can claim all six points and just jump way out in advance, right? And sort of string out exactly how I need to. Uh, so it. Again, just depends on the exact scenario. So. Yeah, cool. No, then I appreciate it. Obviously, there's you know a lot of things that come into play, but it might be something that uh, a player might find worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, the the other list we've got here is the Breaker Tribe. So Breaker Tribe is based on our Gatebreaker being the general. Uh, a couple of things you're going to get is you get uh, to add one damage inflicted by each successful attack by the friendly Man Crusher unit uh, if their target is partly is within a garrison or wholly within a terrain feature uh and then fierce loathing which uh basically you get to choose or roll uh for, on the fierce loathing table and the ability applies for man crushes uh, gatebreaker mega gargans and man crushes and there are six to choose from i mean idiots with flags you know win, wins just from name alone um but what's your take on breaker and what what drew you to the breaker tribe it can give you the vital pluses to hit that you actually need to make Gate breakers be really effective. Um, the one to damage thing is almost irrelevant. Okay. Uh, like it basically you're cause now your gate breaker and your man crushers have it. That's the key with what that rule is doing. And it basically doesn't matter. Uh, the, because it, unless your opponent is really not paying attention or is asleep at the wheel, um, because the correct answer is just don't get in terrain. <laughs> right like just don't be wholly on a terrain feature and drawing cover and you don't suddenly you don't have this extra damage like there's no reason for you to be on terrain in general it's not giving you much so who cares people don't garrison buildings in most games anyways uh and in the one example that always comes up here of ko uh i probably wouldn't target the thunderers anyways i would probably just smash the stupid boat out of the sky which yeah. I'm not getting the bonus against. I'm only getting it because like, I'm not going to take the extra neg one to hit uh, for attacking the thing inside. It might 
it might come up with your seraphon if you're going to you know garrison a, a skink priest or some type of you know chameleon skinks or something in the your seraphon sure, temple sure. and if yeah. if if sylvaneth makes a play back especially with the broken realms um maybe maybe there's a lot of you know garrison intel or not even garrison actually oh, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be holy with each other so well they technically need to be near their woods not in their woods to get all their bonuses so they're usually not holy within their woods sometimes you will get them in there to block line of sight but we're talking very niche examples here i think right. for, for most tournaments i guess the point here is that again it's not something you would rely upon you're like oh i'm just going to go for that unit sitting in a terrain feature it's the rare one it example where you can catch people out is the Gatebreaker throws a four damage rock. And people will often just kind of without thinking put their small heroes on terrain. Okay. Their five wound heroes. They'll just kind of put them on terrain because they're just, it's sort of a reflex that most good players have, have established. Like always keep your single, you know, 32 mil base hero on terrain if you can, because why would you not? Right. Why not give them cover? And that's fine. Uh, when that happens, they they up your damage to five, which means if you mm -hmm. manage to hit and then wound, uh, and you'll tend to punch through their save, even with cover, because you're like neg three rend on that rock, you kill them instantly. Okay, because you turn your four damage attack into a five damage attack. Yeah, because it's not it's not melee, it's actually just all damage. So that actually might really work. Just thinking about it now, uh, if your opponent has arcane terrain and maybe they have a five wound caster trying to hug that arcane terrain, that would then that would basically auto delete if you hit yeah exactly so that's that's the one way you can oftentimes again a great opponent in round five of a tournament is never going to make that mistake but lots of people will uh so there you go uh but for the most part you can kind of ignore that rule because it almost never comes up so yeah that was a kind of the point was that it's a cool rule but i think in most cases i i even my 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 gatebreaker is rarely fighting against anyone in garrisoning or holy within terrain let alone making a whole legion so i haven't i haven't been able to tap into it yet yeah the now as to fierce loathings yeah let's talk about this okay fierce loathings here we go there is one fierce loathing that i think you take and it's not the so like scroll me back up yep it's not idiots with flags idiots with flags looks the most appealing okay because it actually does hit quite a large swath of units most units in the game have some kind of command model if they're not like that is a non-hero type stuff right um they have either you know uh because even a single champion in the unit that you know gets an extra attack counts as a command model and that is a core rule, guys. If you're wondering what is a command model, it is in the core rules uh, in your free 15-page, 16-page document in your War Scroll app. Um, it is anything that is a musician, a champion, or a, a banner bearer. They all count as command models. And in some cases, you know, like your Bloodstoker, for example, they may even have the, the totem keyword. Yeah. So Rare that, keyword, that totem keyword. But exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not around as much as you would think. Yeah. Now, why don't I like this rule, even though it applies to most units in the game? Because a smart opponent is going to do the following thing. You're going to charge their unit and likely do a significant amount of impact hits, okay, uh, with, your, with your, your, your stuff. And when you do so, any smart opponent is going to go, okay, three mortal wounds, cool. Uh, standard, musician, champion, they're all dead. Now you don't get the plus one when you fight. Take that. 
<laughs> right? Because most units can afford to lose those models. They'd prefer not to. But if they, but if it's a difference between getting wrecked and not, why would you keep it around? Okay. So they'll just pull those three models on the impact hits, right? Uh, or or they'll just pull them, period, the first time they do damage, right? And then strip it for future combat rounds. Uh, because most units, it's not essential uh, to, to, to live. Like, is it, there are units where I would not pull it. So for example, like I wouldn't pull my Skaven bell ringer, mm. right? Uh, I'd leave him in the unit and just be like, that's fine. You can have plus one to hit this round. I don't care. Cause I'm going to retreat away from you next round. Right. Cause that's what lets me retreat and charge. Um, but in, in, in the vast majority of cases, they can afford to lose the command models. So you yeah. often just don't get this. It also doesn't help killing the things you actually need to kill. So my preferred one, and I think the one that's actually good, is Bossy Pants and Clever Cogs. Uh, the first one. So adding one to the hit rolls uh, against Hero or Wizard. Yep. One, there are actually quite a few wizard units in the game, like, like non-hero wizard units between New Lumineth and Zinch Crap. Uh, so that stuff is around. But whatever, who cares? Um, but the heroes are the thing you need to get rid of. They're often the thing that's going to cause you problems, that's going to do a lot of damage, that's going to be problematic. And you want... Uh, they're also the ones that have the highest defenses that you need to be applying the maximum damage to. Okay? So going up and adding plus one to hit against them is actually highly, highly, highly impactful. Now... Idiots with Flags still has a use. It's just uh, the, the use of it is if you're going to take a second Fierce Loathing for just your Gatebreaker, because this obviously applies out to your army. But if you're going to, uh, if you take the Command Trait to gain a second Fierce Loathing, which just applies to your General, then I'll usually take Idiots with Flags just to force the issue and run into people and make them pull those models. Like, is there is still value to that, right? Um, it's a good way to deal with, like, Hecatos and just crap like that. It makes them get rid of those models. Yeah, I, I think when I look at this, and if I was if I was not going to, you know, a major tournament uh, and I was playing locally in my local, locally in my local meta, if I was playing lo in my local meta, uh, there is probably some some here that might, might stand out if I was only playing locally, if I'm playing against... Uh, a lot of high armored units, you know, for example, you know, the Shinians might have its place. Um, if I'm playing against a lot of monsters, you know, wannabes might might have a, have its place. Um, you know, if I'm playing a lot of horde armies, you know, their their crowd crowds might have its place. But I think what you just mentioned for sheer versatility, if I was going for uh, the best choice, yeah, I think bossy pants and clever clogs is probably the one that stands out to me the most. Yeah, I should point out that, like, Bossy Pants and Clever Cogs will grant you its bonus against 95% of the monsters you will actually fight in this game. Because non-hero monsters are actually quite rare in this game. Uh, like, because they're terror. just mostly bad. <laughs> I mean, Grizzlegore is probably one of your few Yeah, ones. like, unmounted terrorgeists. Cockatrices, if you're playing a joke army from BOC where somebody spammed 15 of them uh there's very few armies that are yeah. running monsters without mounts right exactly so so that ends up hitting all of those monsters you want to kill that's why i like it you know 
Uh, I don't really care about the unmounted terrorgeist. I do care a lot about the guy, the 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 kumquat, the ghoul king on terrorgeist, right? So yeah, yeah. No, these are interesting rules, and I think you know, I think, I mean, the fact that it's called idiots with flags, I just love the name. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> but but I will say, Vince, um, that you mentioned that, you know, when you charge a unit, uh, you'll do three damage. It's obviously up to three damage. So that D th that, that is a D3 roll. So well, uh, D6 for your megas, assuming you're not charging a, a big thing. Yeah. So there's still a like there is a, a, still a small chance that you might only do one or two damage, which means that there is will still be a musician or a champion. Um, but I think to what you said is still 100 percent correct. That's a, a smart opponent will just pull out. Especially like when I think about what my banners do, uh, my hero will usually get like the, the unit champion normally gets like plus one attack or plus right. one to hit. Who cares? The musician often allows me to get like plus one to a move, run and charge uh, in most cases. And if I'm in combat already, who cares? It's usually the banner that I'm most concerned about that might give plus one bravery, double bravery, might do something. And normally in a horde, um, I, I usually got enough bodies to to, to counteract that that banner. So um, keep that in mind. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, now let's talk, talk the list. list. Yeah. Let's talk the list. So uh, again, for our friends on the podcast uh, who might not be able to visually see this, this is the Breaker Tribe. Uh, Vince has continued with Akshi as the Mortal Realm, uh, and as mentioned, he's chosen the fierce loathing of Bossy Pants and Clever Clogs. You've come in with a Gatebreaker Mega Gargan, who's the general. You've got the command trait of Louder Than Words. You've got the artifact of Incandescent, incandescent Rage Blade. You've also got a second Mega Gargant, which is your Kraken Eater. You've then taken a unit of three Man Crushers, one, one, one Man Crusher. So that comes in at straight 2,000 points at 142 wounds. So I think we've we've already heard a lot about some of these units. We've already heard about the Gatebreaker. We've heard about the block of three Man Crushers. Are they? Do they play the same role? Are they the same? Are they the same type of unit in this list compared to the last? Or are there differences? And how does the I guess the Sub Allegiance or the Breaker Tribe? influence or change or modify the rules and then obviously the kraken eater we haven't spoken about just yet yeah sure so this is a little bit more of an all comers type of list uh it's a little bit more mixing in the utility of the army itself is kind of the idea here so here you've got two real hammers right uh so this is the full build on the gatebreaker louder than words gives him plus two attacks with his flail and then the incandescent rage blade gives you the sixes uh, double taps, right? Uh, and so now you're rolling twelve attacks, and it's you. You never go below seven with your flail, even if you're all the way wounded. You know you're, you're sitting on like one wound left. Okay, and uh, the reality that um, you can that this guy just becomes a just a problem for your enemy army like he actually at this point is doing real and significant damage because if he goes into most heroes in the game or wizards or stuff like that since he's getting the from the from the fierce loathing uh he's going to ruin their day uh like he will just smash most enemy hero heroes and hero monsters off the table in one round uh because he's now hitting on threes with the the big um with the big flail um, again, we're always going to be spending the command point if we can to make him reroll ones, right? When he's on threes, rerolling ones, he's incredibly consistent. Uh, the fact that you're then again on 12 attacks every six. So again, two is sort of the standard outcome. And when you can very, very easily now get to three or four without breaking odds in any kind of way, 
meaning you will very often generate like 10 to 12 hits out of that flail. And that's just like instant death to almost anything you touch. It's a big giant problem. Uh, literally a giant problem. Um, the Kraken Eater is there to play the pure utility game. That's it. He's there to be your other mega to kind of float around with the three singlets here and there and play the objective game, right? Um, so he's there to give the kick ability to the army, uh, like to, to just be kind of an anvil where he needs to be on an objective. Uh, he should ideally be kicking high value objectives around if those exist in there and or sitting on an objective, you know, where with relatively minimal support, but kind of being in the way of, of, you know, them getting at your man crushers who are on other objectives or sitting in your backfield or doing whatever your singlets, right? Your little babies. And then your three man crushes are kind of the bodyguards for the big gatebreaker. They go around with him. They kind of act in that standard 12 inch sphere bubble to allow them to be running and charging. And they're your, your two hammers to put pressure on the enemy force and, and hit where they need to. Um, if you've got a really pesky unit, uh, you know, you can bring both of them into it and be relatively assured that in most cases you'll you'll walk away the the victor of that fight um, if both of them go in there. The like the modal outcome of uh, impact hits just on mortal wounds is something like eight to nine mortal wounds on the unit, which is pretty great. Um, and then then they then you've got three you know bag stuffs. Uh, out of the Manx and then, you know, everything else, the actual attacks that come out of it. So it's just, it's quite a lot of overwhelming damage to the unit. And the Kraken Eater does also stuff people in the bags as well. So, and, and what's cool about that is they, you can stuff things within three inches. So your man crusher, you're forced to do it within one inch of, um, of the, the pylon, but then the, the, the Kraken Eater can pull out within three. So that can, especially like, I always find that when I charge my, Kraken eater in with some man crushes and maybe I go both flanks. I, I don't, I try not to charge in the center of the board. I try to hit on either sides and start when they start piling in, they're going to pile in towards um, between, between both, you know, both threats. I'm, I'm starting to pull out and making really tough choices. I'm not trying to break coherency, uh, but I can, if I want to, but that three inch allows you just to get, um, then, you know, there was a really good comment earlier by Frank, who was, I, I only assume is referring to the idiots with flags, but this also comes into play with the, the Kraken Eater, is that things like Pink Horrors, for example, can't bring back their demons if they lose their banner. So if I can pull out something like that, if I can pull out the Hecatos, but the Hecatos in, in Mortec Guard um, happens before combat, um, even the Lumineth, the Lumineth little uh, Warden unit wizard, comes uh is the hero in the unit so if i can pull those models out uh i'm starting to straight up deny that opponent from those abilities if there's any mortal wound or any special um special things maybe goblins with nets uh, any storm cast that do mortal wounds with a grand hammer or something um i really like that versatility of the kraken eater uh as well as obviously has, and it has a little bit more shooting attacks as well. So it does three shooting attacks where the, right. the Gatebreaker only does one. So um, that does give me a bit, a bit more consistency with some ranged attack. Yeah, this build actually has a fair amount of range threat because you'll generally be throwing, you know, rocks out of your three unit of, of baby giants. The Kraken can throw and then the Gatebreaker can throw. 
it can actually build up to a little bit of damage since since most things in this army are going to be you know having some kind of ranged power projection which is nice uh just to quickly touch a few comments that i saw here um you know frank made a comment about pink horrors losing their banner can't get any pinks back and you know there's decent value in some matchups to make command battles go away i do agree with that i i completely agree with that as i said i've, I've played zinch many times i know well all those stupid pinks uh but like in the end it's not worth it to me because what ends up causing you the problem is usually the heroes the situation you don't want to get into is where you know there's a hero you can't bring down and there are plenty of quite tough heroes you tend to see especially hero monsters you tend to see on the board uh who are who are more than capable of surviving a gatebreaker without plus one to hit like they're the i mean uh here's a fun example i was playing this list and I got my Kraken Eater charged by a murder horn uh, 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 from, you know, ogres, obviously. The murder horn did 21 damage to me, still alive, which is great. And that was a pretty bad rolls. Um, he should have done more statistically, but he didn't. 21 was okay. I consider myself quite lucky to walk away with 21 wounds. Uh, I did two back to him. Right. Uh, that's not a fight you're going to win. <laughs> like that did you're dead uh you're dead now you're dead right so like being able to still turn around and smash that guy off the table because of all the bonuses like with a, with a significant threat is is quite valuable uh the uh james brown asked isn't that a realm artifact uh doesn't the first one have to be from the breaker tribe no your, your first artifact doesn't have to be from your tribe it just has to be like your general your breakers can take breaker artifacts. That's that's it. And you can't give artifacts to from the tribe to other giant types who happen to be in the army. Yet another of the endless things that drive me absolutely insane about the way this army is designed. Uh, the yeah. fact that if I deign to take a second kind of giant, I can only then take a realm artifact with them. I, I, I was going to say, I did put it in the comments, that if you go take a tribe, there is the in very inquisitive command trait that allows you to take a second artifact and that must come from the right. uh the, the the taker tribe artifacts yep. but uh unless i was missing something i couldn't see where i was forced to not take incandescent rage blade so um uh but yeah uh, good questions i think looking at realm artifacts i in, in my taker tribe i'm absolutely obsessed with um uh the the um, perfect perfect protection because it means that my mega my and, and i think one of the biggest challenges that i've had is the ranged attack so i've only lost games um so i've played about 10 games or 12 games so far and i've i've won them all uh bar a couple and the i think i've lost about three games so far and the games that i'm always losing is either shooting armies mm -hmm. um or armies that charge me you know as i mentioned iron jaws i actually played an iron sons on sunday um the 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 beast claw raider you know super heavy stonehorn thunder yeah, yeah. builds it's um, a tough matchup it really is for, for and then us. i played ko again in scorched earth so they literally just like come into my backfield and burnt my objectives um and uh i played cities of sigma with the the teleporty iron drakes with the the ren 2 yeah uh, bridge and um i think with range with rend one and that's where played a perfect protection came in it gives me some good defense makes my my kraken eater four plus uh, because we don't really have a lot of uh, protection against shooting. So our best, no. I guess, protection is offense. It's just getting their face and make it hard for them. Oh, uh, yeah. We don't, you could have just stopped it. We don't have a lot of protection. You didn't need to add the against shooting. That was fine. 
Against magic, against melee, against shooting, against losing. That is correct. Uh, I, I, will, I will say it's also helped me a lot. Um, I had a, I mentioned Chris Welfare earlier. Um, he was playing with um, double catapults from from uh, from OBR, and uh, as you might know, it has no rend, but it does five damage a piece. So um, being able to to be able to deflect five damage off those megas was was massive for, for my boys. Yeah, something like the the Cestus will really pay huge dividends against attacks like that. Like it's crazy how easy it is for him, for you to shake off uh catapult attacks if you happen to be in stomp a tribe with the iron world cestus you're you're laughing at those skulls all day long um yeah so i mean i think this list is pretty straightforward it's it is the much more utility version of the list um it, it goes up to six drops uh which is not as good um but it nonetheless it it has two quite strong hammers it has all your utility pieces that you can you know bring to bear uh and to me um okay so let me talk about one of my general philosophies um in in general my belief in this game is armies that win win by leaning into strengths not compensating on weaknesses that's not universally true but it's pretty true okay and what I mean by that is, like, if you've, like, we mentioned that this army kind of sucks at defense, right, or whatever. Taking things that are, like, minor additions to your defense aren't going to, in general, often make the biggest difference. Unless you're talking about, like, going full-on defense and taker, where you, you're able to stack multiple things and actually turn your, your taker into quite a defensive giant. Uh so to me it's about building on the strengths like the gatebreaker is already the offensive giant let's make him the super offensive giant yeah right um it's that kind of thing uh with the stompa tribe it's like well the man crushers are already the most offensive unit in the game cool let's play stompa tribe and make them the most most up or not not in the game sorry the most offensive unit in the army let's make them the most most offensive unit in the army right that kind of thing uh and so like i i just believe you're gonna get better dividends paid out of that i also think that in the end this army has a problem where it can't really play the attrition game um you'll get out attritioned by things that are good at attrition uh and so you it but if you up the offense you can tilt the things you can you can tilt things in your favor right to where you're killing them before they can outlast you uh so that's why i generally believe in that I, like I said at the beginning, I do think in the end, the taker version is the most competitive version, but I think you can have, I think both of these lists do bring unique elements to the other tribes. They're the best versions, in my opinion, of the other tribes uh, brought to bear, I guess, or whatever. Um, and most importantly, both of these lists are quite fun. Yeah. Um, like, you will have a good time playing them. Let me say it that way. Like, they're they do kind of, if, if you're somebody like me and you ultimately wanted to play your giants because you wanted to make monster noises and smash your opponent and go rawr, uh, then, you know, these lists will accomplish that. Uh, they yeah. will accomplish that, it, it, you know, in mass. Uh, yeah. I, I, before I move into our final thoughts, and there's some interesting questions I want to pull out of the chat um, to kind of bring us home. But uh, I will say that uh, I mentioned I was at a tournament recently. It was like 40 players, um, uh, just COVID restrictions. We can only have that many players, which I just think was still great uh, at the time. And um, I went three and two. Um, and 
there was another Sons of Behemoth army that that came, and it was a Gatebreaker army, and it ran double Gatebreaker, which I thought was really interesting and, and really tapping into that Gatebreaker keyword, tapping. I, I don't recall exactly which of those um, those fierce loathings he took, but, you know, getting double Gatebreaker, tapping into like even, say, bossy pants could be really brutal. Uh, and then having, you know, whether it's two units of three man crushes or going back to your original list with the four threats or even breaking it up like you just had with a couple of, you know, screening units and things. I think I think for me, when I look at Gargants, um, I get to do all the fun things, the things that I want to enjoy. And I have actually been competitive. I, I don't think that there's been a game that I don't think I've been in it. And I mentioned that I've only lost a couple of games. Those shooting games against KO and, and against Cities of Sigma with the super stacked up Iron Drakes teleporting, you name it, you know, the, the Sorceress with a stabby stabby unit, having the two priests. I lost it in turn four. I lost the KO game in turn four. Yeah, I, was sure. up, I was up the whole way. So it's not like it was like turn one, my, the game's over, see you later, let's go to the bar. Uh, I was in it the whole way, so I think um, I think when you when you're getting into this army, you are going to have fun. You are going to be competitive. It's not a fight, an instant five and zero. Oh, it's not an instant zero oh and five. Um, and there are some challenges and restrictions in your list building. And you know, as it stands, if you want to bring some chaff in, you know, you do have some mercenaries who flesh eater courts or through um, through fire slayers. If you want to tap into the mercenary pool. But I think you've got some cool builds and maybe to kind of bring it home. Um, like, yeah, let me let me say this real quick, because I, I think I want, I want to build on something you just said. Yeah, please. This army has about 140 wounds. OK, like on, on and almost any way you build it, you end up at about 140 wounds. OK, it's just the nature of it. Like it is the most on rails wounds army you can play. Right. Like you can play versions of BOC that have BC chaos, sorry, that have like 120 wounds or that have like 230 wounds. Like that's a huge range, right? And so on and so forth. And lots of armies have have ranges like that. Maybe not that big, but they have ranges. This army has 140 wounds. Because in almost any combination, that's just simply what it comes out to. Uh so what what you need to think about is what's the average damage output of the enemy army per round? Because that's your attrition. That's what you're going to attrit, right? And uh, when you look at something like KO, KO does about 30 damage around usually if they can bring their might to bear, which they usually can since they can pick up and land and stuff, right? So you can survive one round of shooting from them. Like generally they won't be able, they'll, they'll lift like a unit, they'll lift your unit of babies round one. That's a, a good KO player will just, will, will lift, drop and kill your biggest hammer, which is the unit of babies. The, a, a smart KO player will just shoot them off the board. And they'll tend to stand a pretty good chance of doing that because you're on a five up save. Um, and then that also then, and then they'll pick your other babies off as they go and they'll leave you with two megas, right? Because they know the megas have the least chance of being able to bring down their boats and they can, they can then attrit you down, right? Cause you can't control more than two objectives at that point. And they can just gun haul or other objectives and stuff like that. So, you know, somebody asked like, how do you play the top shelf stuff? Right. So Zinch, Seraphon, KO, the, the sort of alpha predators right now. Uh, hopefully not much longer. Let's say at the time we're recording this, hopefully like maybe three days longer. Uh, those before those armies get kicked in the teeth. Um, the answer is it's tough. Like those are tough matchups. You're on the back foot. 
Uh, it depends a lot on what those armies are, though, at the same time. Uh, Zinch armies, depending on your build, uh, aren't that challenging for you because they don't have a ton of wounds. And if they're a flamer heavy build, then you've got to get rid of the flamers ASAP. Like you've got to get, you've got to clean those boys out because you can, you can weather the magic. Like Zinch can't do enough magic damage on its own through mortal wounds to really threaten you. Okay. But the flamers will pick your army up. Because they'll do 60, 70 wounds in a round to you. You cannot withstand that heat. Well, they ran two as well, right? So you basically your main crushes have no armor save, straight up. Yeah. So the answer is, like, you've got to play KG. You've got to push into them. If they leave their flamers at a point where you can reach over the line, use your three-inch range, and you do that. If you can throw at them, you throw at them. If you can damage them, you damage them. If you can charge around, you charge around, you get into them, right? Like, you, that's, you, you've got to know what's actually posing you to threaten the army. I'm not scared of the big stupid bird. I'm not scared of your stupid bubblegum pink horrors. Like, those are just tar pits I'll eventually clean out. You're going to do, like, no damage to me, and I'll blow those things up, okay? Um, but what I'm scared of is the things that will actually, you know, really lift me off the table faster to where, to where the attrition war that I want to be in, where I die at the end of round three, but by that point I've built my score up enough to where you can't win. Like, that's ultimately what this army is, right? It's, I'm trying to win by round three or four and make it so you can't win anymore. And when you, when you, when you find those enemy units that are just like, right, where they start to push the damage out of 30 around to 60 around, and suddenly your army's dead in two rounds, you're not going to survive to that point anymore. So being able to prioritize threats, right? Um, like, ex like the normal flamers, uh, assuming they're running around at, you know, like Renneg one or something, or does it, you know, like, cause they, there could be multiple builds, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Assuming that that's way you tend to see them is, is it Renneg one? They're still basically blowing right through your, your man crushers. They just basically don't like your save doesn't basically exist to them at that point. And they're more than capable of doing 36 wounds to a unit of them or to just like pointing three of them at your pointing three of them at a baby and going, that baby's dead. Sip. It's just gone instantly. There's no, the math is almost catastrophically against you that it will survive, right? Um, so it's just like with KO, the key with them is like, you've got to get them out of those boats and you've got to spread out so that they're forced to drop into bad positions, right? If you can control where they can drop and if you can be on the objectives more, they're not going to be able to take objectives away from you. They're generally very few, very few models. Like KO's big challenge is they count as basically nothing when they're zipping around in their boats. Yeah. And so if you can if you can basically hold and force them into bad drops where they can't threaten the objective and they're forced to sort of not be able to bring all of their guns to bear against the targets they want because they have lots of 12-inch guns even on the big boats, then that's how you beat them. Because you're just staving off damage. And that and that's probably been one big benefit that we have versus other armies. They, you know, you see a lot of armies with these death stars or castles where you require, you know, power pairs or you know, two or three units to buff up a particular unit or keep it, you know, at its maximum potential. Our army doesn't really rely on that. So I can split up my force across the board and really make them choose where they want to go, or they can only focus on one, maybe two units. And I think when I reflect on my game where I lost against Scorch in KO in Scorched Earth, I know if I would have had another scenario, I'm pretty confident I would have won that game. It was just the ability to fly high and burn the objectives. And I, I only had a certain amount of power projection. Do I sit on my objectives and just try to retain? Do I go onto their objectives and try to burn? And they just zip around. Um, playing to your strengths is critical. I think 
what you've said is, is you know, target priority and and thinking about where I've won my games. It's it's a winning my games because I've, as you said, built up such a lead and got so far ahead that by turn to by turn four turn five when the attrition wars start kicking in and gargans for falling over and i'm losing my units um i've got such a lead and such a heavy lead that they can't win right um, right even even without units uh, games like focal points um you know even without the the buff to monsters and behemoths in vps i've just got such a, a big lead that and you know, a, a kraken can then kick the objective and make it even harder for right. my opponent to score. I'm forcing it away from the board and splitting them up even more. So, um, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. Yeah, when it comes to like that that Stampa army, that is sort of my favorite actual way to run this army. Like, I don't mind Zinch that much. Uh, I'm going to like my gatebreaker. I'm going to be throwing at whatever. I'm going to be throwing a big rock at whatever demon hero happens to be near the pinks that's extending its neg one to hit to them, right? Or or because that's who I want to take out. I want to get rid of that neg one to hit if I can before I go in there, right? Uh, so I'm going to throw rocks at that guy in any way that shape or that I can, if I can take that guy out. And then when I go into pinks with my man crushers in that build, they're going to accelerate my damage, right? Like I'll attack with the non- man crushers first because i'm not worried about the melee kickback from those dudes right they're not going to put on enough wounds for it to really matter and i'll bust their pinks open right you like you crack the pinks into blues and they accelerate from like 10 models to 20 models because suddenly they like the unit naturally ramps to 20 models and then stays there until it starts tritting back down on brims right and so like you can pretty easily just clear out 50 wounds in a round that's not that hard at all in in that kind of a build you'll kind of blow through that type of stuff um the and and then you know their zinch player is going to go they're going to do their best to summon up every magic they can they'll probably melt you know any any like i don't have any singlets for them to melt you know on average a zinch army is going to do something like depending on what kind of cast they are they're going to do somewhere in the range of like 10 to 20 mortal wounds in their in their hero phase through casting depending on how hot they roll and their exact build and you know do they have kairos or blah 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 did they take the scribes and do they have rerolls and whatever whatever um and if they do lower than that you're in the clear cuz you know like that's that's it if if you've if you've threatened their flamers if you've just got within 3 inches and started attacking them or made it so they can only attack like if you can get a baby around there who can tow in within 3 of their unit of flamers so that that whole unit has to turn and just like waste an immense amount of firepower to just bring down that one baby. Cause now they can't split their attacks anymore. Since you're in combat with them, you're going to win that game, right? That's it. You've, you've controlled the tempo now. Uh, the, for, again, I, I will say, I think the toughest matchup isn't the shooting stuff. It's the melee stuff. The melee stuff is what you have to be afraid of. So like who are you thinking with melee. Uh, a tooled up dock army is a nightmare, right? Because they have nothing you can really rock out. Like you, they might have a hag queen on foot, but a good dock army has a hag queen on cauldron. Yeah. Um, they're going to come in in any one of their units. They, they almost auto beat you on bravery, meaning mind raisers on its full effectiveness. Okay. Uh, and they're going to come in and just like, like they will just chip or shredder your army. 
And Marathi will probably tie up one of your mega right. gargants or it's going to at least go and just sit in there with the small gargants and uh, you'll lose that output. So I think I can see I can see big Marathi, uh, even little Marathi with, you know, state of state of shadows or whatever it is being able yeah, to she'll just, go in. And, yeah, little baby Marathi will just like fly over and tie up one of your units and force you to retreat away from it. Why wouldn't she? She'll see it and go attack. Who cares? She, she has no threat from them. That little, the little baby Marathi, she's not going to do much to your giants, but she's going to hold up a unit of three. Tie them up. I think, I think what, one thing I will call out here though, is that um, we, I, I think one big benefit that the Gargans have that other opponents um, will struggle with, with these top meta armies like uh, Seraphon, like Zench, like Lumineth, um, some of these armies is that a lot of armies are reliant on spells or endless spells to supercharge their units. You know, I mentioned earlier the Iron Drakes being teleported by Umbral, uh, the Soul Screen Bridge, yeah. whether it's Cogs, whether it's a particular endless spell, uh, you know, even Flesh Eater Cause being bring, bringing back things from the Chalice. Um, you know, Teclas is stopping you casting your spells, Croak's stopping you from casting spells. Uh, Zench is benefiting from you casting spells because you're getting more summoning points. We don't care. We right. don't rely. We don't rely on spells. We don't rely on endless spells. We just, we just do our thing. So I think that I just that's probably one of the big benefits that I'm seeing is that I just get to play my game. Yeah. I don't care what you do. I don't care what spells you cast. You right. can't auto delete my mega gargant. It can only take a maximum of six damage anyway. Um, like whatever, just do your thing, and I'll I will I'll do my thing, and I don't I don't want to rely on my opponent failing or casting. It's me and only me. Uh -huh. Yeah, agree a hundred percent. You know, like I said, I mean the 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 tooled up doc, the tooled up, uh, you know, beast claw raiders, the tooled up iron jaws, like or or big wall or whatever. You know, those are the armies that are going to be your your actual natural predators. Yeah. because they will like they pack many units that will that will lift any of your units in a round and you can't do the same back to them right they're also much faster like if you play against uh, an iron jaws or big wahoo's in the right sort of battalions where they can you know where that mega boss on maw crusher can move 36 inches in a round right i mean there's just there's nowhere to hide like he's engaging the one he wants he's having the fight he wants He's going first. He's hitting on twos, re-rolling ones. He's hitting for outrageous damage, and he's just going to blow that unit away, right? Um, so, you know, I've played against Iron Jaws. It was not a great match for the Giants. Uh, it, th those, I think, are the actual. It's, so it's it's kind of, you, you actually have some game. You're on the back foot, but you have some good game against the top-tier armies. Uh, I think it is more those melee guys that, that pose you real interesting threat. It's uh, play this army against OBR. That's a very fun matchup, actually. You're 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 quite good against OBR because they tend to have small elite units. They tend to rely a lot on their armor saves that you just <laughs> buy, <laughs> like those are gone, and uh, and you can pick out their hecatosis and stuff like that. Like you're actually quite a potent threat to OBR. Uh, that's actually a great matchup for you. It is a wonderful matchup, especially because their terrain piece is in the center of the board, which means it's super easy to destroy that Bone Tide Nexus in turn one. You can get to that Gothazar, who's potentially buffing up the Mortec Guard. I think there's some really good matchups. And if you are playing in a meta where you are playing a lot of um, these monster mashes that we're talking earlier, then as you mentioned with the Breaker Tribe, getting the Bossy Pants and Clever Clogs might actually be a really helpful way to at least even up the playing field a little bit more against those um those types of armies but yeah you know what there every army has a natural predator um who knows what's coming in the winter faqs who knows what's coming in the white dwarf 
Um, who knows what's coming? But I think either way, win, lose, or draw, I think we're in a good spot. I think yep. we are in a good spot. There's some things I would absolutely love, and I agree with you, Vince, that there are some things that I wish we had. Uh, there are some things that I'm really happy to have. Um, this is an army we're still learning and, and practicing with, and who knows what's coming in the future. But I think we're in a good spot. I, I, I'm really happy with this army, and this is something that I'll be playing with um, for the competitive season for the next year. Yeah, I don't think com competitiveness is actually the challenge with the army. Again, all of my frustrations have to do almost with like list building and the way you can building the army you want and having it function the way you want that kind of thing. Depending on your, especially if you're operating from a point of view like me of Super Timmy, you know, there's one sort of fringe benefit to this army that we haven't really talked about, but I think it should is a good way to close out, which is this is a fun army to play against. Okay. Like it's no fun playing against several armies in the meta, right? Like playing Zinch is just kind of a terrible experience as they sit there and replace pinks with blues and, and cast a bunch of non-interactive spells that you have no chance of stopping, even if you do have wizards and crap like that. Like it's just kind of of an experience, right? There are some just kind of not fun, negative play experience, rich armies that in this, in this game, this is not one of them. Uh, people love playing your big giants. It's fun that, you know, they know what you do. You want to have a fair fight with them. Uh, and it's generally a good matchup. Like it's going to be a good, hard played match pay, played on the fundamentals. Uh, and that's actually not to be underrated. Like the fact that most of the time your opponents will walk away happy and want to play you again. That's a good thing. That's not yeah. a bad thing. That's good. I find my opponents look at me like an arm wrestle. It's like a, a test of strength. You know, Festivus is coming very, very, very soon. Uh, and the, you know, the big, the big pillar of, of Festivus other than the, uh, you know, the pole and airing your grievances is the feats of strength. And I think I, every opponent that I've sat down with my Mega Gargans, they're like, I want to take down a Mega Gargan. Sure. I want to see what my army can do. I want to pull it down. And uh, it's a wonderful challenge. And I think that's that's the fun as well, as you mentioned. I think I'd like to think every game that I've had, I don't think I've had a bad experience on my side or their side. And um, I think everyone's enjoyed it. And when, when you pull down a big mega gargan, they cheer, you cheer because you're hoping to to do damage to, to your opponent. Um, it's it's fun. It's wonderful. And, um, and also they are good on the table competitively. Yeah. Um, I, by the way, I see it as, have you seen that, like, I don't know if it's like a Russian thing or an Eastern European thing, but it's the, like, slap oh, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. across the table from each other. You have to hold on to the little things, and then, like, your opponent slaps you, and you have to stay conscious. That's what this army is. Playing this army is getting in one of those slap competitions, because it's like, can you withstand the slaps and just and hold out before you get knocked down? That's, yeah. that's playing this army. Yeah, I love it. I uh, And... And there's been always like these little like, and like, you talk about the slap, right? You know, as you're watching those videos, you can see kind of people like tiltering, like, are they going to yeah. fall? Are they not going to fall? I almost killed Gordrak, had one wound left when my Gargant fell over. Unfortunately, I didn't win that roll off. I got into a battle with Archeon and my my Kraken took Arche uh, Archeon down to three wounds. My Gargant died. So it's like this, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out. Like, am I, I will win that matchup one day. So... Should just be a roll on a two plus. I'll take it to the grave. Yeah, look for I, the rewrite of the the Sons of Behemoth Battle Tope coming twenty twenty one. I agree. We'll rewrite it for for Games Workshop, and uh, we'll all still be very happy. But Vince, if people don't know your channel, they should clearly know the channel. But if not, the link is below. Uh, you get hobby tips. You get Warhammer Weekly. You get just sheer value that. Um, 
is definitely worth a subscription. Um, anything you want to say, any shout outs, anything you want to mention at this particular point? You do workshops as well, by the way. I've, I've enjoyed your workshops when we've been able to do those. Um, learnt non-metallic metal from you, learnt wet blending from you. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting back to teaching in 2021. Uh, I'll come back to CanCon in 2022. When that happens next, I already know that that's definitely going to be a thing. Uh, so I'll be coming down to Australia that uh, there. I have no idea when I'll be back on the road teaching, hopefully once this is in our rear view in the second half of the year. Uh, but no, I just want to thank you, Coach. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, this is a great army, uh, despite you know the, the things that are thorns in my paw, as I said at the top, and I'll say to close, it is an incredibly fun army. Uh, I really love it, and uh, I hope a lot of people have fun playing it. And who knows, in the White Dwarf, they, they might be the mouse that pulls the thorn out of your out of your paw. One new awesome sub-faction that actually kind of like does what I want to do, which is sort of the damage focus thing, right? And lets me use my toys in the way I want. And I and like instantly all of my problems will evaporate. And I'll be like, that's fine. I live in this White Dwarf. I am like a, I am like a squig player. You've reinvigorated me. You know, that's, that's all I want. Just give me that squig treatment and we are rock and roll. Give us the jaws of Mork, not the spider. Just give it that. Give us that side of the white dwarf, not the, right. not the spider rules. There you go, and 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 we are off to the races. <laughs> Vince, thank you very much for your time. This was awesome. I really enjoyed it, uh, guys. And uh, I, I can't, I can't say again. If you haven't subscribed to Vince, go go check out Vince. But Vince is awesome having you on the channel. Thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure, sir. See you guys, mate. How good was that video? Surely it's going to go straight to the pool room. If you enjoyed that video, I would appreciate it if you crushed that like button. And if you have an opinion, leave it in the comment section. That lets YouTube know it's a great video and it should share it with other Age of Sigmar players. Cheers to all the bloody legends here on the screen who have financially supported AOS Coach on Patreon on YouTube members. Their contributions have helped me improve the quality, frequency, and the variety of content on this channel. So cheers, guys. You are bloody legends. Until the next video, don't forget to shoot the heroes and have a good one.